Hey everyone, welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. This is a podcast that looks at the connections between anime and Canadian media. And in this episode, we're going to be doing another retrospective on a specific anime show that has a unique cultural impact in Canada. And this time we're looking at Card Captors, uh, which is the original English language adaptation of Card Captor Sakura. And oh boy, uh, there is a lot to say about this one. <laughs> and a lot of, uh, a lot of strong opinions on this one, and I'm, I'm hoping we can cover this pretty comprehensively in uh, in one go. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. And joining me, as with every other Magical Girl adventure we've had on Zonan Canada, is Aaron Dearden. Uh, Aaron, thanks for joining. What Can you just let everyone know what uh, what you do on the internet? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for those who don't know me, uh, I tend to haunt the online spaces as Aaron Cerise. I have a YouTube channel. Uh, Technically, I have two major projects, but one of them is on hiatus right now. That's uh, Maho Profile, A History of Magical Girls. Right now, my active project is the podcast Super Idols RPG, which is a Masks actual play podcast about uh, magical girl, or well, magical person uh, high school idols. Awesome. And joining us again uh, for the first time since the Love Live episode, we're having a little bit of a Love Live reunion here. Uh, is noted YouTube celebrity Rin Senpai. Oh, uh, Rin, <laughs> welcome on, back. <laughs> Can you uh, let everyone know what uh, what you do oh. on the internet? Hey, I'm Rin Senpai, uh, YouTuber now Twitch streamer. Ah, since then. Uh, Twitch partner, I guess you could say now even. Okay, so the twi- the Twitch part is more important now. I, I, well, I guess I kind of do both at the same time. Yeah. Still, right? YouTube's still the larger one. Um. I watch anything like that. I watch is is usually through YouTube. But oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I'm still playing Love Live. I had many <laughs> many stories to go over with Love Live in my experiences, but I've also included Genshin Impact in my repertoire of mm-hmm. things that I look after now. Yeah, still doing that stuff. I guess not much else to say. I was watching one of your streams a while ago. My cat was really into it. She seemed really into Love what? Live. Everyone tells me about their cat when they come to the stream. Like my cat's watching your stream. Like that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so card captors was uh you know the dub of card captor sakura produced by nelvana uh it was that was 20 years ago so maybe i need to add a little bit of, of extra context because this might not be what everyone recognizes um card captor sakura as so right now card captor sakura is very accessible it's on crunchyroll uh, it's on netflix in hd and it i gotta say it looks gorgeous when you watch it on either one. I think I think there are even better looking masters out there too in like 4K or whatever. Uh but the version mm-hmm. you, you can see on on Netflix and Crunchyroll is 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 really good. Both of those versions allow you to watch the show in Japanese with English subtitles. There's also an English dub that you can watch. Oh boy, is there an English dub? <laughs> uh, yeah. Huh. But you'll if you listen to this English dub, you will notice that it is definitely not produced in Canada. Definitely not what aired in Canada 20 years ago. It is actually a Hong Kong produced English dub that was made for the Southeast Asian market. And I noticed a lot of people seem to think it's a new dub that was made for Netflix. It's not. Uh, it actually was made around the same time as Card Captors was for or predominantly English speaking mm. markets. I can't say I recommend this dub. It is very mm. unnatural, kind of janky. Uh, I know that some, some people like these dubs because there's, there's, there is a bit of a charm to it. And I guess if you're, uh, you know, if, you, if a young child wants to check out Card Captor Sakura, it's fine. Yeah, that's that'd be fine, but <laughs> I couldn't make it through a whole episode of that one even. 
Uh, there's some, there's some ones that come out pretty funny. It, it is completely authentic to the original script. With, with young kids, they're on, un, they're under 10, or it depends on the kid, of course, but kids tend to be less critical of bad dubbing. But anybody who is, uh, discerning at all about, uh, about performances, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna find this dub is at best for throwing something on in the background. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> for catching up on the show for this podcast, I, I, I threw a few episodes, this dub for, for a few of them, like Sharon and, and Carol switching bodies. Yeah, I'll I'll throw that one out of the background. I think oh, a couple. Oh no, that's one of the ones you should definitely watch the sub for, though. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll go back to it. it. There there were some important things that happened in that episode. Uh, maybe <laughs> I, I maybe I was I was wrong to dismiss it. Maybe I'll go back to that one. Half the fun of that episode is getting to hear the voice actors do impressions of each other. That's true, and yeah, that's something that would <laughs> definitely not come through very well in the Hong Kong dub. Okay, I guess I messed this whole thing up. Let's just uh, let's just cancel the podcast. <laughs> Card captors the. Canadian produced dub. So typically when a, when a dub is done in Canada, there's usually an American company behind it, like Saban or Four Kids, that's making the actual like editorial decisions. Uh, that was not the case with card captors. This is unique in that this, a Canadian company was, com- okay, for the most part, handling everything. There was uh, another party involved, which actually seems to have had a considerable amount of influence, but not to the same extent as you see with like the dubs that Four Kids put out. But Nirvana, for the most part, they were the license holder and distributor and there are a lot of mixed opinions about this dub. Uh, I think as an adaptation, most people feel it's not a good representation of the original at all. If you ask people in like the United States or the UK, you're probably going to hear more negative opinions about it. If you talk to people from Canada uh, or Australia, you're probably going to hear, at least from people who watched it um, back when they were young, more positive opinions. Uh, it's something that's really going to depend on what country you're from. But of course, on the internet, in a lot of spaces, uh, opinions from people in the United States can kind of uh, dominate the discords a lot of the time. And I think that perception of uh, of card captors has really colored the general narrative about that dub for a while. But there's been some interesting things that have come up just back in 2015. Someone uploaded a mysterious torrent that contained all 70 episodes of Nelvana's Card Captors dub, which surprised a lot of people because in the United States, the dub was cut down to 39 episodes. They, uh, Kids WB, the broadcaster, did not air the whole thing. Uh, they skipped large chunks of it. They edited episodes together. And people were surprised to learn because, well, let's face it, a lot of the times, if you for people who live in the United States, they're not going to be as aware of what's going on in, in other countries. Uh, but a more complete version did run in other places, and it has a lot of the same problems, for <laughs> sure. But uh, because it aired a little more complete in some places, you know, people could absorb it a little better and get a better perception of it. And I was asking around, much like I did with Pretty Cure, in some uh, in Canada-centric anime communities on social media, and people were overwhelmingly positive about card captors. I was honestly a little surprised because I'm so used to hearing the the overly negative things. Uh, if anything, some people are maybe too defensive of that dub because it it makes some uh, drastic decisions, unfortunately. But the important thing is that it had a lasting impact for a lot of people. It aired on Teletoon. They aired almost the whole thing. They skipped one episode. Uh, they aired it in the correct order. It means a lot to a lot of people. So we got to cover it. It's a critical piece of history. So before we, we kind of delve into that more... I want to hear everyone's personal experience with with card captors, with card captor Sakura, or with Clamp. Aaron, can we uh, can we start with you? Sure. I think you mentioned Clamp, and I, I think as I've read some of those social media posts that you mentioned, and 
I I can definitely confirm from my personal experience that there definitely was a card captors to card capture Sakura to clamp pipeline that seems I think for, to exist. I think for a lot of people it was card captors straight to Subasa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, actually, yeah, too. I'm a little bit before the generation that did yeah. that, but yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, like I think even even if you had a even for people who had a bad experience with card captors, I think this was definitely the big exposure that many many people had to clamp uh, back back mm-hmm. around that time. Oh, abs absolutely, yeah, because my my experience for sure was uh, definitely watching card captors on Teletoon. It was one of the many shows that I was trying to watch dubbed at the time because by that time I knew what anime was, I knew what I was looking for. So I would watch card captors and Digimon and uh Pokemon and uh even like th- they tried to catch stuff like Moncoli Knights and uh Flint the Time Detective, all that stuff. Um so it felt like it was part of the ecosystem of that that system of dubs. <laughs> and as part of that ecosystem it it, it was fine. I enjoyed it. Um I, I don't think I at first knew anything was up with it other than uh, it maybe even at that age seemed a little stilted in, t- in places, uh, but it seemed cool. I really liked the the art style and the designs um, and the systems of magic and whatnot. Uh, but I did learn pretty quickly how extensive the changes were. Um, and this was due in part to the fact that I started attending one of my my local anime clubs, uh, Jaws. This was back in Calgary. The I think the Jaws Club there might actually still be running. I think it's what is it, the Japanese Animation Watching Society or something like that, <laughs> Watchers Society. Uh, they, they ran out of the back room. The acronym there. <laughs> Sorry. Definitely aiming for the acronym there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah there, were, there were a bunch of clubs that had names like that in Alberta. I know that uh, Jams existed somewhere as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Jaws ran out of like the back room of the Sentry Box, uh, which was a game and card store uh, in Calgary. Still is. And that was my first exposure to a lot of uh, subtitled anime. Uh, we would get together, I think, once every few weeks or once a month or something like that. Uh, and one of the first shows uh, that I watched when I started going to Jaws was Cardcaptor Sakura. And I was extremely hype about it at the time because I wanted to see what the original was like. I think by that point I had seen fan subs of Sailor Stars. So that was not my first experience of watching a the, the original version of something I grew up watching dubbed on YTV or Teletoon. But it, it was an early example for sure. And I was very, very into it. And then I became very resentful of the, mm. the Nirvana dub for changing so much. But I still like kind of secretly held a soft spot for it regardless. Um, like I knew a lot of people spoke badly of the dub. Um, uh, so I, I, and I was an impressionable young kid. I didn't want to <laughs> speak out of turn, but I, I still felt like I, I had a soft spot for it regardless. And I know you developed a fairly uh, strong affection for for Clamp uh, as you went yes. further down that hole. Yeah, definitely. I, I slid further down the the the, the pipeline that I mentioned uh, from Card Captor Sakura. Uh, I I picked up. Uh, I started to recognize that Clamp was the name connected to it, and that it was connected to some other things that were popular around the time. The big one for me was X. Uh, X was my other big Clamp title that I, I picked up the manga for and I was just absolutely blown away because that's like 
one of the goriest things that Clamp has ever written and drawn. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I was all about that. Uh, definitely was into, I think, Wish. Wish was another one of my big titles that I, I really liked a lot. Still, I still <laughs> think that should have gotten more than like an animated music video out of that at some point. It's a really sweet little story. I, I definitely fell down the clamp hole uh, after that for a while. I never, I think by the time Tsubasa and Holix started coming out, I was less into it. I was less into those stories because I think I felt they were getting a little like convoluted. Like clamp has always been kind of convoluted, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but I think I was just starting to recognize it more at the time. So I, I noticed like a bunch of my friends in high school were getting into Tsubasa and I felt a little weird because I wasn't really as into that as much. Um, but I can see the appeal of it at least, especially if you grew up with, uh, with card captors or card captor Sakura or really any clamp titles. Yeah. I mean, it's a strong foundation. E- even if you only watched card captors, it, it creates a pretty strong foundation because, you know, it had, you have, Chloe Reed is like a, a central figure to so much of like the greater, uh, I don't want to say clamp verse, but, uh, my, my understanding is that Tsubasa and, and Hallark are not only alternate universe things, they are kind of sequels to, uh, mm-hmm. Cardcaptor Soccer as yeah. well. It all, it all links together in a really convoluted it's way. Basically the, the, the CEU, the clamp extended universe. Yeah, they they said at the beginning of Hallark that you don't have to follow Tsubasa to understand what's going on. That was a filthy lie. <laughs> uh, you uh, you need to have at least some familiarity with some of the later stuff. Um, that was disappointing because mm-hmm. I I liked I like Holland quite a bit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Rin, can you share your uh your experience with uh with card captors, card captor Sakura, Clamp, and and all that stuff? It was with Teletoon way way back in the day when it first mm-hmm. like started showing up in Canada because that was like a huge thing for a lot of children, something to watch after school. I remember the premiere, you linked it to me in the, the Discord earlier and it like sent my soul skyrocketing. I was like, holy crap, I haven't seen this in friggin' forever. Yeah, the, the, the promo. Yeah, the promo. Yeah, I yeah. remember seeing yeah. it very distinctly. It's like, what is this? This is gonna be cool. So I watched it and you know how there's like Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon that was kind of already established back then, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't really think of them as anime. I just thought of them just as like another like Canadian American kind of cartoon thing because it was just so common so seeing something like this and a similar style like i wasn't really sure what anime was yet i thought it was really interesting as a child and then now as like the first the two episodes that you linked me specifically i can't believe so many of the things that i missed that just stood out and just didn't make any sense so with cardcaptor sakura i would say that would be my first actual anime before i started getting into like anime as a thing like knowing what it was until uh someone in school showed me how to start downloading things off the internet on the pc because he wanted me to help him get evangelion or something (laughs) (laughs) right and then so while i was helping him do that i saw there's like a whole bunch of other things that you could look for so from there i ended ended up just rediscovering cardcaptor sakura in the original japanese dub and i was just like oh this is actually japanese (laughs) so i was like what is this so I checked it out and I just really enjoyed it still from there. And then the other series, like I would say Clamp is also the first uh, company of like shows that I was following because right mm-hmm. after Cardcaptor Sakura, I started watching Angelic Lair and I started watching Chobits. Those two shows really, um, they're pretty important to me, I guess, as you can say, when it comes to just like things that I grew up with. When you watched Cardcaptor Sakura, were you surprised by like the changes compared to uh, what you saw on TV? Yes, because... I noticed when I was watching it, there's a lot more focus on the romance in the 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 anime. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the dub, I didn't really... There was like a little sense of it from Shaoran, but from everyone else, I didn't even notice it at all. 
Yeah. Until the they, enemy showed up. With, with they, they hint at things a, like a little tiny bit. Yeah, a tiny bit, English right. But it's yeah, unavoidable, right. yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, oh, they're just being friends. Like, there's a perfect meme for that, <laughs> right? <laughs> so when I saw the anime, it was just really cool because, you know, I'm a, like someone like me at the time going through a lot of questions about myself. So it was really interesting to see that in some sort of media rather than it just being hushed and, you know, don't even talk about it kind of thing. Did you find that any of that stuff kind of shown through with uh, the dub or was it not till you saw the subtitled version? Not till I you... saw the subtitled yeah. version and then understood it, then went back to the dub and I was just like, oh, I get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Toya, Yukito. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> um, I got it. In, in my opinion, well, we'll get into that. That was yeah. not as a... Uh, that that part was not as um, suppressed in, uh, in in the Nelvana dub as as I expected, but yeah, all sorts of things related to the relationships were the main thing that was toned down in, in Card Captors, mainly to refocus it. Jovi, I'm curious, did, like, did you have friends who were into Card Captors as oh. well, or did you like find people online who uh, were fans of either version? No friends, <laughs> by myself. <laughs> Just watching Aww. cartoons after school. I didn't really watch, like, maybe my sister, but she wasn't into it. She was doing her own thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really talk to anyone. But when did it come out in Canada again? 1999, I think? It was 2000. 2000? Yeah. So that was... August 2000. August 2000. August 23rd, 2000. That's when 2000. it debuted on August Teletoon. Teletoon. Uh, and it had been on Kids WB a few months before that. Technically available in Canada if you had a premium cable subscription. So as for me... You know, late 1999, early 2000s, that's, you know, around the time that Pokemon was big and there was the whole kind of resurgence of Dragon Ball Z uh, after it had been gone for a little while from Canadian TV and then came back as it was picking up steam in the States. And and Gundam Wing, you know, that's when I started to become more curious looking into anime beyond just what's on TV. I think a lot of of, um, my early exposure to anime discussion online was at the planet namic forums uh where i uh i i was known to peruse a little bit uh in in late middle school and that's when i started to become more aware of toonami in the united states and you know what they were showing the way shows were being edited and man uh people had a lot to complain about about this card captors show that had uh just started running in june apparently on Kids WB. When people started talking about it, I didn't know what it was. I I certainly knew how it was edited, how they rearranged episodes, how they jumped to uh, episode 8 to not not so much to downplay Sakura as the main character, but to try and have more balance between the, the female and male characters. It was discussed as this outrageous aberration, and it was just totally everything negative. So... When I heard it was coming to Teletoon later, just a couple months later in August, my, my excitement was pretty muted. And of course, I was at that point, I was already starting to rent tapes, uh, uncut dubs and subtitled shows uh, from, from a local store. And my uh, exposure to anime had grown quite a bit in that time. So I was not as interested, but I did catch some of the episodes that ran on Teletoon. And after it started running on Teletoon, I began renting Pioneer's home video releases, which were in Japanese with English subtitles. From the little that I had seen of the show on Teletoon, I could tell there were massive changes, especially with the relationships between the characters. The, the big thing that's edited in Card Captors is Sakura's crush on Yukito, or Julian, as he's called in the dub. 
And that was definitely the most prominent thing I noticed between the two versions. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is completely different. I mean, it's still, they still reference it now and again in the, the TV dub, but it's, it's practically the central focus in the original. And that's how I knew, mm-hmm. oh, this is, this is way, way different. So I, I, I watched about, I rented tapes. I watched about 20 episodes. I know they, uh, I think Pioneer delayed one of the releases, uh, that they were doing at that time. Uh, they like, skipped volume three and went to volume four i think it was just a production issue but people said it was because there was controversy over some kind of relationship in card captor sakura that was so scandalous they card had captor to... sakura questionable relationships <laughs> no i'm pretty sure it was actually just a production issue uh, but i think that's kind of when i had a snag in renting it and i just never got caught up again and i was always as i was with many shows at that time, I was just like, oh, well, when I can afford to buy all the anime DVDs I want, I'll just buy this series because it's clearly worth buying. And then by the time I could, you know, had the money to buy DVDs, I realized that uh, a lot of time had passed by and other things uh, had come that had captured my interest. And also buying every single show on DVD was uh, not as achievable as I thought at that time. So it kind of fell on the wayside for a little while. Uh, every now and again, I would catch a random episode of Card Captors. I, I went back and watched the whole thing on Netflix uh, a few months ago, just to specifically to prepare for this episode, which was also an excuse to watch the show again, which I wanted to do, and I, I greatly enjoyed it. It's a very fa- it's a fantastic show for all ages, uh, and I, I can't if you haven't watched the whole thing or watched the whole original series, I say just go do it. It's, it's, it's really great. If you have kids, get them to watch it too. They, like I said, they won't mind the dub that's on Netflix, or at least at the time of recording, it's on Netflix and Crunchyroll. So plenty of ways to watch it. Um, but when I went back and watched it, I realized, oh, I absorb more of this than, um, I thought I had. I, I mentioned that card catchers had a really negative reputation online at the time when I was kind of delving into internet yeah, anime confirm. culture. And I was thinking that, oh, well, I mean, that was fueled mainly by the U.S. version. And I think that I, I was expecting that when we recorded this episode, I was going to be uh, kind of dispelling those myths and kind of defending the dub to a degree. When I went back to watch the dubbed episodes from that, you know, mysterious torrent. So the key, the key thing about that torrent I want to emphasize is that it has all 70 episodes and it actually doesn't have any network IDs or anything. So these weren't television broadcast episodes. Someone must have leaked this out of Nirvana or something because it's the most, it's the most complete version out there. But I, you know, I, I watched it from that upload and man, even this complete Nirvana version has most of the, the worst problems of, of that adaptation. So yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about Cardcaptor Sakura itself. Cardcaptor Sakura began running in Nakayoshi magazine. Uh, this is, this is the, um, I guess if you count pretty here, this is the fourth Nakayoshi, uh, title we've talked about on this show now. It started in May 1996 and ran for 50 chapters, and I believe it has, uh, a total of 12 volumes, uh, versus a 70 episode series. So like a lot of other Nakayoshi adaptations, uh, you have these, um, small amount of manga content that is, uh, adapted over a very large number of episodes. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're familiar with the Sailor Moon formula, that's pretty representative of how a lot of Nakayoshi, um, uh, adaptations are done. Um, because it's a monthly magazine. Usually the chapters are long and they got to take those chapters and make as, as many anime episodes as possible. <laughs> uh, with them. 
like Candy Candy could very, very thoroughly flesh out uh, a chapter into like 15 episodes. No problem. Sailor Moon got, you know, more creative with the way they did filler episodes. Yeah, well, they had a more built-in Monster of the Week format. And to a degree, exactly. Cardcaptor Sakura does too. Yeah, they just had to double the number of, of, of glow cards uh, in, the sh- <laughs> in the show. But it works. Cardcaptor Sakura wound up as an anime, wound up being technically formulaic. But it's, you know, it's always really, really solid and really enjoyable. And I, I, I gotta say, it's, it's a better show to, to kind of savor over a long period of time than to, than to binge on. Yeah, I found that because I, I had to watch it in a more compressed time frame for this podcast. Yeah. And I ended up, um, skipping a good number of episodes because after a while I was like, okay, this is the formula. This is how a general episode feels. Yeah. Um, and I watched a bunch of the, I remember a bunch of these from back in the day anyway, so I'll just, skip around to the most like important episodes <laughs> if you want if you watch too much of it together you're just like you know especially in that first half it's like come on when are they gonna do the thing the thing they keep teasing like every yeah every several several episodes when are you gonna finally do this thing they do the thing in yeah, episode it's 46 like, oh, <laughs> I, i've heard enough of sakura gushing about yukito for today i need to stop <laughs> <laughs> well, they fixed that problem in card gatherers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Clamp was a group of manga artists. Uh, they started as a doujinshi circle, doujinshi, doujinshi circle in the early nineties, uh, doing a lot of work that was, mm. uh, derivative of like Devil Man and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and, and a lot of other titles like that. They've had, I think, a total of 12 members over time. I don't know who the, ex- what their exact formation was at the time that, that card captor Sakura came out uh but in every in basically every iteration of clamp uh nanase okawa uh she mm-hmm. is basically the central creative figure behind clamp yeah, she yeah. is quote-unquote group leader she handles the story and the scripts um she she does most of the most of the creative um impulses go back to her and she again she's highly influenced by things like devil man and jojo's bizarre adventure and has uh a, a real penchant for like Quasi biblical imagery and like light and darkness themes. That's yeah, the there's kind of a stuff reason you... like the stereotypical image of a clamp person is like someone with like one angel wing and one devil yeah. wing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that kind of summarizes it all right there. Their published work came out a little later in the 90s. Most of their work to up to that point had been in Asuka magazine, which I guess you'd call it a Fujoshi magazine now, but it's like older shojo, kind of darker. Uh, darker themed girl targeted stuff more, you know, more, more for people who are into anime, uh, and more into fandom than in just casual readers like you'd find with like Nakayoshi or, uh, Hanato Yume or, or something like that. They kind of got their start in Nakayoshi and I actually should say Nakayoshi is targeted at like girls in like grade four, five, and six. That's their hmm. kind of their, their target audience. Um, they had previously done Magic Knight Ray Earth, which was another magical girl series. Uh, that one f- uh, was a bit of a departure from what they had done before. It featured characters in middle school, but Okawa, uh, in her f- in a follow-up Magical Girl work, she wanted to not focus so much on what was conventional in Magical Girls, but something that would be more to think more of the who was the target audience for Magical Girls. And she's like, oh, who's something that she wanted to create like a character that the audience could relate to and also kind of look up to to a degree. And you see that with Sakura, she's you know, she's not perfect, she's relatable, and a lot of focus just came into developing the character that way. 
And the other two people uh, who I think were most prominent were uh, Mokona, who was the art director, and Subaki Nikoi, who designed most of the characters. Um, again, I, I'm sorry, I don't know who else was kind of part of, of Clamp at that time. Um, but yeah, yeah I know there was for- one other person. I can't remember which person it was, though. Yeah, sorry, so, sorry, Clamp fans. Uh, I know you're probably screaming uh, at your whatever you're listening to this <laughs> podcast uh, with right now, but I've uh, I've let you down. Sats- Satsuki Igarashi, that's the name I remember. That's Satsuki the name Igarashi. I recognize. Yeah. Okay, yeah, thank you. Uh, so the anime uh, started April seventh, nineteen ninety eight. So you know a fair bit of lead time for Anaka Yoshi. Usually, when they have a big hit, they get it made into an anime as fast as possible. And they kind of get, they gotta, they gotta get that, uh, get it on the, the, the assembly line to get that merch out as fast as they can, uh, faster than they can write anime most of the time. Um, they had a little more leeway with, with Cardcaptor Sakura. And, uh, this was a little more of a lavish production than you'd usually expect for a Nakayoshi like, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it was produced by Madhouse Studios and it actually aired across three separate seasons with a fair bit of break in between each one. Um, so again, lots of, fla- lots of flexibility. Uh, it did not air on, at least not initially on terrestrial television. It actually aired on the NHK BS2 satellite channel, which I think it's no, it no longer exists in its current, in the form it was in at that time. I think they were estimated as being about 13 million subscribers, which is more than I thought there'd be for a satellite channel in Japan, because most people in Japan don't have satellite or cable. Usually it's, it's kind of an unnecessary expense because, uh, just regular terrestrial television, it covers your needs. So it's a bit of a luxury. So right off the bat, it's, it has this broadcast that, if anything, is more similar to like Dear Brother, which had run about six years earlier in a on the same channel in a similar time slot. Um, so you have like high quality production, kind of a limited audience reach. So bit of a strange move because it feels like it's not getting near the amount of exposure that, say, a Sailor Moon does. And also, I don't know if uh, it even would have had advertising on NHK BS2 because those episodes are like 26 minutes. So it would be like little to no advertising running it. And yeah. uh, if you've if ever customers watched Customers have been a, paying more for their satellite packages, yeah. maybe? Yeah, exactly. And, all, uh, and it's a public channel as well. So and have you ever seen a Sailor Moon commercial break? You know that, you know, they just advertise Sailor Moon merchandise in a manner that would be uh, incredibly illegal in both Canada and the United States. So you're not, you know, the commercial outlets for card capture soccer seem a lot more limited. Despite that, it was a massive, massive success in Japan. One of the most popular shows running during that era, uh, with both young children and older fans. And it definitely was a show that, that aimed to kind of bridge that gap between audiences. Um, if not skew a little older than a lot of Magical Girl stuff did at that time. So it was directed by Morio Asaka. So I would say that Morio Asaka, he is probably one of the most prolific directors of shoujo anime in the last 25 years. Um, in addition to to Cardcaptor Sakura, and he came back for Clear Card uh, a couple of years ago as well. Oh shoot, I didn't uh, I didn't have my list up of the stuff that he's done, but it's a lot. Uh, sorry, one minute. Oh no, Anime News Network's down. <laughs> I was surprised looking at the the list of what he's worked on too, and been like, oh oh okay then, all right then. <laughs> Because yeah. uh, he's definitely also like this. He also got back in Clamp Waters uh, by doing the Chobits anime. He directed one of my personal favorite uh, old comedy anime, uh, Galaxy Angel. 
Um, and as far as important shoujo titles go, uh, Nana is a, a huge one that yeah. is very important to a lot of people. Um, well, more Jose, but Chihaya Furu, and, uh, um, entire thing so far. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, Ori Monogatari, or My Love Story. That was an, mm-hmm. an, another Yeah, those are more recent one. titles. Well, more yeah. recent in the fact that it's in the last 10 years, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think more people know, like, Kunihiko Igohara or Junichi Sato by name, but I think that Morio Osaka in the last, you know, in the last tw- about 25 years or so, or, or, or a couple of decades, he has probably been the more pro- prolific director of the specifically shoujo stuff and also, and also Clamp. Yeah. The closest he's gotten to like something for guys, I think, is probably Gunslinger Girl. Yeah. So very, very strong, uh, directorial talent behind it. Uh, series composition mostly done by Nanase Okawa herself. So this wasn't yeah. just, uh, wasn't just an adaptation. Yeah. She was hands on. I think that she, I think she scripted like at least one of the movies too, if not both of them. Mm-hmm. And like all of the last season, right? Basically. Basically, yeah, yeah, all, 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 all of that important stuff. Uh, she was very hands-on with it. I started to notice as I was looking for like which episodes I should watch as part of my watching for this. Uh, basically, uh, anytime uh, an an episode was important, her name was attached to it. Yeah, very much so. And and this was in addition to writing however however many clamp manga were running at that time. Uh, they they always have at least two or three going at any. At, at, at any given time, it seems. So the music uh, of the series was by Takayuki Nagishi. Again, m- m- he also returned for Clear Card, as did most of the crew uh, who who worked on Card Captor Sakura. You know, he I think he does a really great job with the music. It is, I guess, they actually he returned for the music. They use most of the same music in Clear Card, actually. If nothing else, it's a testament to how like strong and distinctive a lot of the the themes he used, and they don't really get boring over the course of seventy episodes. Also, he's the guy who composed the first uh, opening theme for One Piece. That tells you anything else about? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely the the seiyu always um, stood out to me when mm-hmm. I because uh, I was always a seiyu person back in the day. Like in terms of big names, you've got uh, well Sakura Tange as. Uh, Sakura herself, uh, but more, uh, more, even more than that, you have big name Aya Hisakawa as, uh, Karo, uh, yep. <laughs> giant name like Sailor Mercury, uh, Miki and Utena, uh, yeah. lots of, just and lots of stuff also, around that time. Got, got, got to say on that note, Karo, he is like top tier magical girl mascot character. Yes. I think possibly he, the he, Uber he, mascot. He, he, he is my favorite out of out of every magical girl mascot I have ever seen. He's just like the he's not he's not too cute. He's he's really funny. Yeah, he's he's so great. And I, I gotta say, I'm a fan. I don't not everyone agrees with this. Matt Hill as uh as Kiro in the dub, I think. No, he's I think he, great. Yeah. he's a really good he's a really good take on the character. Kiro was when I was younger I didn't like him. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I thought he was kind of annoying, but when I like watching as a kid and then watching it again as an adult, you have very different you know ideas yeah. about how things should be i appreciate it a lot more now yeah i'm not sure why i didn't like him as a kid to be quite he's, he's real he's more relatable when you're an adult if anything maybe i guess yeah. right <laughs> like he he's lived his life he's just there to kind of like look after soccer now so he's just really casual <laughs> so i guess yeah. i guess you could say he's, oh yeah pretty relatable in that um seki tomokazu i recognized as a lot of like big kind of like bishonen characters in a lot of anime around that time he was and he like, plays toya he, he was in so much stuff around that time yeah <laughs> yeah um and junko iwao as uh tomoyo um she she did a lot of like especially like 
roles that required her to sing a lot, yeah, and we, she definitely plays that here as well. Yeah, we talked about her a bit in the um in the the Sherlock Hound episode because she first got her 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 first big role was in um Montana Jones, which is like the the furry Indiana Jones show. Uh, but they, uh, yeah, she, she, they got her to, I think she was just cast in a minor role and they got her to sing the theme song and they, uh, and it just kind of expanded her role in that series. And from then on, a lot of the stuff she gets cast in, uh, she t- tends to have a prominent singing role. I don't know if Tamoyo or Madison, as she's called in the, the Nelvana dub, I don't know if there was a lot of her singing in the, uh, in the manga. But they certainly devote quite a few episodes to that in in the anime. They're like, well, we have this person playing her. We might as well take advantage of it. The breadth of seventy episodes. I mean, that where all your creative decisions are going to lie. So yeah, I'm yeah. kind of curious how uh, that's some of the dub episodes I didn't get to check out, but was curious about. Like, how did they handle Madison singing for the dub? I, you gotta say I dropped the ball. I didn't watch any of the the Madison singing episodes. Oh in, no! In this. <laughs> and I also gotta say Megumi Ogata as Yukito. Yeah, in- inimitable. Like I don't think any any other person. Like it, it's not even just a matter of not being able to translate that kind of voice into other languages. I don't think even in Japanese you're gonna find very many people who can capture that that kind of androgyny in his voice like she did. Yeah, like, she was very, very big on playing those types of, like, again, Bishonen characters, but especially the the more, like, androgynous and feminine yeah. Bishonen characters. Yeah, bread-loving soft boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she was also, like, what's his face? Kurama in Yu Yu Hakusho. That was mm-hmm. the other big one I could think of. Yeah. She got, and she was in um Akadama Drive recently. She went way against type in that as the, the sexy doctor character. That was <laughs> I was really surprised to learn that she played that role. So, Cardcaptor Sakura... Big merchandising uh, extravaganza in Japan. And this, of course, was right on the heels of Pokemon becoming a worldwide phenomenon in a manner that was unprecedented for any, well, video game franchise. But the anime was a huge driving force behind the merchandising and making Pokemon a phenomenon everywhere. And Kodansha, who is the rights holder of Cardcaptor Sakura and the publisher of the manga and owner of Nakayoshi, they were not oblivious to this at all. And uh, with Cardcaptor Sakura being a merchandising merchandising hit in Japan, they wanted to get those deals signed internationally as soon as they possibly could. So it's no surprise that they tried to get this show to attract the attention of larger distributors uh, with strong licensing chops, as opposed to a lot of the smaller companies that specialized in anime at that time. And in line with that, it was announced on August 13th, 1999, just shortly before the third season began airing in Japan, Canadian animation and licensing juggernaut Nelvana had acquired the rights to Cardcaptor Sakura, or as they called it in the original press release, Cardcaptor. Uh, given that you know, a lot of companies were chasing the success, the success of Pokemon, and obviously a Canadian company like Nelvana would have seen firsthand uh, the level of success that Sailor Moon was able to achieve in this country alone. It's frankly not a big surprise that that Nelvana went for this. In fact, at the the uh, at the time, Nelvana co-chief executive Michael Hirsch, in that ori- initial statement, cited the fact that the series had a storyline similar to Sailor Moon that would influence fans to follow it was one of the major factors in their decision to license this show. And drawing parallels between both Pokemon and Sailor Moon is, is what he mentioned yeah, there. And he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, also noted 
They hope to derive 50% of total revenue from the series from marketing efforts. And he said it's premature to try to put, put a figure on it, but we think we can build a serious business out of it. So as soon as that news dropped, people knew exactly where this company's priorities were. And let me tell you, Usenet was not happy. And there were immediately petitions going up, begging Nelvana to, at the very least, make sure that Cardcaptor Sakura would get a uncut release in North America. And we'll get into, like, the changes that happened to the broadcast version of Cardcaptors or Cardcaptor slash Cardcaptor Sakura uh, in a minute. But it is worth noting that one big thing that separated Nelvana from, like, four kids or Saban, or a lot of the other companies that were notorious for heavily editing shows on TV uh, with an ex- with more focus on toy licensing potential rather than getting anything out to fans of those shows. Nelvana did strike a deal with Pioneer, who would later be known as Genion, and then later not exist, as both the, the home video distributor for their version of Card Captors and for the uncut Japanese subtitled version. You can criticize Nilvana all you want for the dub they produced. Um, I think that the fact that they did make sure that the uncut version got a commercial release, they do deserve props for that because that's a big thing that separated them from a lot of those other companies at that time. And quite notoriously, those subtitled tapes and DVDs outsold the dubbed releases significantly. In fact, the dub series was not even fully released on home video, which actually made it kind of rare. <laughs> and still makes it rare to this day to at least own like a... Actually, no, makes it impossible to completely own like a legal copy of of the Nelvana dub. Of course, that, that success obviously influenced, changed a lot of perceptions about the market for anime in uh, in North America and, uh, and, ha- and had a big impact in that way. So I should talk a little about who Nelvana is, because I don't think uh, I've gone into detail about this on this show before. Certainly, if you grew up in the 70s or the 80s, you may have had a very different idea of uh, of what Nelvana is compared to someone who grew up in the, the 90s or 2000s. And I think basically, if you're if you fall into any of those generations, which I think covers 100% of the people who listen to this show, you all know who Nelvana is. You know the name, at least. Uh, but Nelvana was actually uh, founded back in 1979. As a small production company by Patrick Lobert, Clive A. Smith, and Michael Hirsch. Michael Hirsch would, as I mentioned before, would be the co-chief executive for the company for the entirety of, of when Card Captors was being handled. All three of those guys were producers on the show, so they were around at that time. And uh, they st- they got their start making a 30-minute documentary on Canadian comic books for the CBC. Uh, and their, their name, Nelvana, was actually taken from the old 40s comic, uh, Nelvana of the North. That was a success. It worked out really well. And from there, they began to produce live action and animated interstitial content for CBC, which eventually led them to making a number of animated specials like A Cosmic Christmas and The Devil and Daniel Mouse. So their animation style back then was very gritty, experimental, uh, low budget looking, but kind of, you know, endearing and, and psychedelic. Definitely felt like... That that uh, that substance influence went into these productions to some degree, whether they were whether they were targeted at children or adults, and they did animation for both. I think at that time they were mainly known for producing the segment for the Star Wars Holiday Special that introduced Boba Fett to the world. Because I, I don't know <laughs> if you guys have watched the the Star Wars Holiday Special, but there's an yeah. animated segment in it that was actually the debut of Boba Fett. That was before um, the Empire Strikes Back came out. Yeah, to be fair, that segment is not is probably the one of the 
better things in that special, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the I think it's the only actually Star Wars Holiday Special is being added to Disney Plus apparently. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in in HD in a in a couple months I think that segment is like the one portion that's been kind of properly in print and even uh and even remastered and out because it is the segment most worth preserving and importantly having uh doing that also established a strong relationship between George Lucas and Nelvana. As they gain notoriety, they also have the opportunity to put out their own uh, feature-length film. In that same year, in 1983, uh, it was called Rock and Rule, sort sort of a uh, fantasy rock and roll adult-targeted animated film at that time. Yeah, it was sort of like a heavy metal thing, wasn't it? Uh, it very much like a heavy metal thing. In fact, they had turned down the opportunity to work on heavy metal, which probably was what led to them making this movie. Notably featured the music of Cheap Trick, Chris Stein, and Debbie Harry of the pop group Blondie. Uh, and Lou Reed really phoned it in with a couple of those songs. And Iggy Pop and even Earth, Wind, and Fire uh, all showed up in that movie. So that film was in development for five years. It cost $8 million to produce, and it made... $30,379 in the box office, Oof. which is a absolutely atrocious failure. Unbelievable. Rip. <laughs> Almost destroyed the company. So I, I think that their, their relationship with George Lucas may have been one of the only things keeping them alive because they had the opportunity to do those, those droids and Ewoks animated shows uh, later in the 80s. But also what really helped them a lot was pivoting to children's television and specifically children's television that had a lot of opportunities for toy licensing. That's what saved them. The 1985 Care Bears movie and the subsequent Care Bears movie were what restabilized that company fully because they were able to make a lot of money just from box office alone. And obviously the merchandise just kind of blew everything up for them. And after that happened, that really changed the direction for the company. They had relationships with PBS and Fox Kids in the United States. They they produced so many shows that aired on those networks, most of which had merchandising tie-ins. And that's where Hirsch and the others built that business for most of the decade. Um also this is so this is an unsubstantiated rumor, but apparently, either in the late eighties or early nineties, uh Nelvana did produce a pilot dub for Fist of the North Star. I have not seen this with my own eyes. I have not heard a first-hand confirmation of this. This is just something that's been kind of a rumor for a few years. Um, if that's true... I'm, I'm sure we'll hear it from Mike Toole if, if, if it turns up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for the record, I heard it from Dave Merrill. Um, but even he's not 100% sure on that. It, like, if that, if that's true, that would be, that would have been an interesting kind of overlap between the way Nelvana did things in the early 80s versus the late 80s. But also, if true, it would have shown that anime was on their radar very early and sheds more light on, uh, how they made, why they made the jump for, for Card Captor Sakura. And it's probably worth noting that that focus on anime, wh- whether it actually started then or started with Card Captors or started at a different point, it persists today because Michael Hirsch is currently CEO of WoW Unlimited, and anime is very much central to a lot of their strategy. They are the production company behind the Netflix Castlevania show. They run the Get the Robot YouTube channel, and as well, we have... ran. Oh, is that over now? Unfortunately, yeah, they they had okay. to uh, shut that down, let those people go. Right. Well, they they weren't they were running that. So again, it was part of their online strategy. And as I have mentioned many many times and focused multiple episodes about on this show, they are the company that is responsible for Sailor Moon on Crave right now. 
they actually licensed it and and put it up there. So Hirsch is obviously no longer with Nelvana, but anime is still the the licensing potential of anime is very much uh, alive in in his projects. So for Card Captors Reaching Television, as we touched on before, uh, it debuted on Kids WB on the WB in the states in uh, June seventeenth, two thousand. So this is so. The WB, it no longer exists. It got folded into what's now the CW at some point. But I have to emphasize that the WB, it is a network broadcaster. So people didn't need a, people in the states did not need a cable or satellite subscription to get the WB or the kids WB block. You, if you had an antenna in most areas, uh, you were generally able to pick it up. Uh, or if you weren't, you were able to get it in like a low-level cable package. Uh, the WB was available in Canada. I guess if you lived in some places, you may have been able to get it on an antenna as well, but not it, it wasn't as uh, as common. Typically, you would have to have had a premium cable subscription to get the WB and Kids mm-hmm. WB at that time. So te- again, like I said before, technically available in Canada, but it wasn't really wa- widely available or on a service that more people would have access to until it debuted on Teletoon in in English on August 23rd, 2000. So at this time, if you were watching TV at that time, you probably know that mo- almost all anime that was running at that time was on YTV and not on Teletoon. Card Captors right. was the one exception. And it definitely might seem strange uh, because Teletoon... You know, they ran those manga entertainment OVAs, as we discussed a, a few episodes ago, or one of the previous retrospectives. They ran adult-targeted movies and OVAs for uh, for an adult audience, but they never licensed anymore, and they seem to have washed their hands completely of anime after that. So it's really, it may be puzzling why Teletoon would have aired Card Captors. It makes more sense when you realize that uh, Michael Hirsch was actually in charge of Teletoon at that time. Uh, because that channel was actually launched by him and Nelvana in partnership with notable criminal organization Sinar in uh, 1997. <laughs> so obviously, you know, you have the same group of people who are in charge of this television station and this licensing studio. For the sake of synergy, uh, it makes sense that the the, the station, the, the show would show up there. That's not surprising to me because even at the time, like at that age, I could tell there was at least some crossover there because I definitely recognized some of the card captors voice actors from their appearances in other Teletoon productions. Nelvana did, they didn't work as much with Ocean Studios. I think they did a lot of Toronto uh, based recording. Mm. Actually, they, they had their fingers in lots of stuff. So, but yeah, you, you definitely heard those voices. Yeah, like those what's, same voices what's, in our production. It? what's with Mimi? That's the main yeah. one I remember hearing Card Captors voices in. Yeah, yeah, there was. I think there's some crossover cast. What about that Mimi? That's sure. what it is. Yeah. So, Card Captors on Teletoon wound up being fairly successful. It actually ran from 2000, and they continued rerunning it into 2004. So, we don't really know you know, what the ratings were or anything. You don't, we don't get access to that kind of information in Canada like you do in the States a lot of the time. But even if it's just out of convenience sake, the fact that they kept the show on the air for that long, I think is an indicator that it was fairly successful. And also makes it especially frustrating that Teletoon still would not license more anime, uh, even though Card Captors did, uh, did very well. Uh, so Teletoon ran 69 out of the 70 episodes. There's one they skipped. Anyone guess which episode it was? I, I know, so I'll I'll see yeah. if Ren can guess. Uh, can I have a hint? It's not controversial. <laughs> it's a weirdly mundane episode. Yeah, it, it's the episode where Sakura meets her uh, her great grandfather. Really? 
Yeah. Huh. I think it's, you know why I think it is, and you'll, you'll probably confirm this, Jesse. I bet it's because it's an episode where no card is captured and the only magic that happens is some, is Sakura makes a rainbow. Yes. Uh, that, that is almost certainly the sense. reason that yeah. it was probably skipped. I don't know if that was an editorial decision on Teletoon's part. I, I kind of doubt that it was. I think Nelvana probably just didn't give it to them. They did dub that episode though, and it aired in Australia. What's interesting about that episode though is that, uh, they they completely invert the plot of it because I think the the other thing about that episode is that you have Sakura essentially ha- wandering around and uh, hanging out with who we presume to be a stranger for most of the episode and no one seems to have a problem with it. They actually invert the plot of the episode entirely and have Sakura know that it's her grandfather. So it becomes actually even more mundane because she's just going to meet this old man who she knows is her grandfather and she's like, oh, he misses Literally rainbows, so I'll make him a rainbow. At that point. Yeah, and they, and they cut out uh, Tamoyo Madison's mother and everything. Um, all anything that would make that episode important, distinct, is kind of erased. The nuance is gone, so it makes it especially not worth airing. It, it, it's mm. neat as a like a, as, as a curiosity with that. Yeah, depth. I watched it just because I was curious about it, <laughs> and seeing the change that change is wild. Just because then it's like, well, it's, it's okay. So how come Sakura's dad and her brother don't? get to go see her grandpa <laughs> yeah yeah it creates more questions um <laughs> but yeah so so while uh the show seemed to be fairly successful on teletoon things played out a lot differently on kids wb so kids wb was definitely more than just a broadcaster they were very much to a large degree a partner in the production of card captors and it makes sense that nelvana would allow them to have that much power because, again, they are allowing them to access a potentially huge audience. The WB reaches millions of people. The potential audience for a kid's WB show is millions. You're not actually going to see that show up in the ratings, but like it's going to reach so many eyeballs, so much potential for that merch that they want to sell. And there was a lot of merch. So the kids, So the WB had a lot of editorial control over what was going on. And to this day, there's a lot of controversy over what changes were like the the decision of Nelvana and which changes were the decision of Kids WB. And it's kind of hard to say. So when you're looking at just the Nelvana version, like at minimum, these episodes run about 26 minutes. So you can't even fit that into a, a Kids WB slot. So you're looking at a minimum of five minutes being cut from every episode. And the uh, the other thing is that the episodes that ran on Kids WB were, they weren't reordered, but they, well, actually, no, they, they were reordered and they skipped nearly half of it. They reduced the show's run from 70 episodes to 39. Again, compared to Teletoon, which ran 69 out of 70 episodes, Australia, which ran all 70. And they even in-house spliced together episodes and edited them even further from what Nelvana did. Notably, episodes 65 and 66, which is the episode when UA transfers his power to Toya, they were, they were spliced together because, uh, Nelvana was, or Kids W was not happy with uh, the way it was delivered from Nelvana. But uh, anyway, when you're looking at that basic dub, you're having a minimum of five minutes cut from every episode, usually a little more for the Kids WB broadcast. Uh, the music has changed completely and, you know, those music changes really make a big difference. Yeah, I was surprised. Like, actually, I want I want to let uh, Ren talk a little bit. For uh, like, y- you watched like an episode like just today. Like, 
did the did the music stand out to you particularly and if so how it didn't fit the tone of what was really going down i think to me sometimes it goes against what you're seeing and actively yeah un- actively undermines what's going I, on i felt like it was a really serious thing going on right so you'd figure like maybe the mood should shift from like you know almost like a it felt like a hangout theme kind of thing yeah. that was going yeah. on Rather than, like, this is a very pivotal moment for these two right now. Like, there's this whole reveal. It reveals Toya knows everything that's been going on and all this, but it just didn't fit, right? It Mm -hmm. was kind of jarring to watch. And that's very common, I feel like, throughout the run. Yeah. Yeah. And and to clarify, if anyone is not clear, the reason that music gets changed in shows like this is not only because the shows are so heavily edited that the music would be choppy if they they kept it intact. It's also so they can make royalties off of... uh, off of the off off of the recomposed music when it plays in different regions and gets replayed on television, yeah. which is the uh, the Hayam Saban tactic. He yeah. basically also uh, because music rights in Japan are a nightmare. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, Aaron, I think you also mentioned that so, like the changes in music often make they make the show look worse. Uh, that's a very interesting way of putting it. Yeah, like yeah, I don't know if it's a combination of the kind of like fuzzy. TV VHS-ish quality of the, the, what I was watching, but like just the like, the tone of like their like mystical action music tracks that they'll often play for the show make the show like feel like it looks cheaper even. Yeah. It definitely feels like it's going, it's, they're, again, they're undermining so much of what goes on in the show. Actually, you mentioned the the Carol and Lee body swap episode before. Mm-hmm. That is one of the ones I did watch the both versions for to compare. <laughs> and that's one of the worst ones for music changes. Oh. Um because it's largely a comedy episode, like it's a Freaky Friday episode. What do you expect? Um but they keep playing the like suspenseful epic music throughout <laughs> to make it like this is a dangerous situation how are they gonna get out of this it's totally inappropriate i did watch mm-hmm. the episode with the dash card where soccer's classmate kind of befriends the uh the animal that's formed by that particular card and and harnesses its power to to win races yeah that's actually one of the more intact episodes they keep the basic idea of the plot and the conflict and you know the the uh, what are supposed to, at least on paper, are the emotional beats intact. The music changes completely ruin it because they, they don't go for any kind of emotional music. It's all just that low quality, ethereal kind of thumping uh, like sound a, that you, yeah, that you, you, borderline you get in, 80s fantasy music. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you don't get, a, there's no variety. Like even in other shows that were being licensed, like even in like the old Sailor Moon and, and, and DBZ dubs, they had a even had a little more variety than what was produced in house for um for card captors. Mm, yeah, I, I always think that changing the music is one of the worst changes you can make for any kind of localization, but it is especially bad uh, in this yeah. show. I think it's a it's, like, it's a bad yeah. Rin, you mentioned like that the hangout track. I know exactly what track <laughs> you mean because that track <laughs> is played all the time. God, oh. Yeah, no, music is very important when it comes to, like, presentation of an anime. So that just really kind of, I don't want to say ruined because it had its charm, but at the same time, it's like, hey, come on. Yeah. This could have been more deep, I guess. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, the as we touch, as I kind of touched on earlier, the most dramatic thing that they did uh, was changing character relationships. And I, it's worth noting, this wasn't done out of censorship so much. Well, I, in some cases it was. But it was more to refocus the show. 
I think it's fair to say that if when Nelvana licensed the show, especially when they're citing similarities to Sailor Moon, if they knew that they were going to have to cut out things like Sakura's crush on Yukito or her relationship with Lee, I think that maybe they wouldn't have licensed the show if they knew that they would have to make such drastic changes because I cannot overstate how much they had to cut in order to achieve that or to take the focus completely off of Sakura's crush on Yukito slash Julian, which is very much a central focus for the first half of the series. Episode three, perfect example. Uh, the whole the whole first half of that episode is setting up how, you know, Sakura wants to go on a date with Yukito and then they various things happen and they wind up going to the aquarium together. So the first what they do is all the, most of that is just cut out of the first half of the first episode. But because they this this alone already takes them over the five minutes that they'd cut with from any episode by default. Mm. So they cut even more to the point that there is a five plus minute recap of episodes one and two, which are is thrown in the beginning of the episode to fill up time because they have cut so much trying to undermine this critical and honestly not really problematic focus on, you know, just, you know, a little girl who has a crush on, on someone who's a few years older than her. And, and like I said, it's not out of, it's, this wasn't out of censorship because they do allude to it at times. There's small ref, there's a reference to it in the first episode. There's a handful of times later in the series where they make jokes about it or explicitly say that Sakura has a crush on, uh, on Julian. But it's. Yeah, they very much want to make it a side thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is so toned down. It is so, so they, they just, the extent that they go to remove it as a central focus, I think is kind of, I find it amazing, and it really shows that whoever was making the decision there was putting the localizers under a lot of pressure to make sure that it's erased. And it also makes his entire role in that first half of the series, it doesn't really make any sense why he's even around a lot of the time. And I got I got to emphasize, I'm just talking about what was cut the like regular Nelvana version. This doesn't even get into the additional edits that were made by by Kids WB. The most extensive thing that they did, apart from you know skipping so many episodes and reordering them, and and a lot of those episodes had important plot details as well, which is kind of funny because they're you know they just want to focus on the quote unquote plot and they're leaving out all these important plot elements. No, what they want to focus on is the card battles, which actually a very small part of the show. <laughs> they're very besides the point a lot of the time. A lot of the time, they're they're an afterthought even. I think the thing that really riled people up was when they actually spliced those two episodes together, 65 and 66. I, I don't know about you guys. Now, despite the fact that Nelvana and, uh, and, and the, the localizers at Ocean Studios and everyone else involved went to such a great ex- extent to, uh, sort of undermine and remove relationships, I found it surprising. I thought those episodes were pretty gay. <laughs> uh, I, I was kind of amazed at how little they did to undermine kind of what was going on between Tori and Julian slash yeah. Toyo and Yukito. They they say best friends instead of, you know, my number yeah. one person. They did a but, little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like they said best friends, they place a lot more emphasis on the the business of the power transfer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the they left in the shot where like UA lovingly puts his cheek up against uh Tori's. They they left in that that scene when uh when when Tori Cabidon's uh, Julian uh in an earlier oh. episode as well. I was, I was really surprised by that one. I don't know if it's because they they didn't realize what that meant or they they just wanted it to slip through. It, that was a very weird because the show is so notorious for erasing, you know, any kind of relationship. That I I would make the argument that, that was actually quite intact. 
And I think in episode 65 in general, that's actually one of the, you know, despite all everything we've said about the undermining and the inappropriate music changes and, and all that stuff, I think somehow the, the intent really still kind of came through in the end in that. Yeah. Which probably Although there why... was one major bit of relationship cutting that was, that didn't directly <laughs> involve Toya in yeah. the scene. Um, and, uh, again, Ren, this is the episode you watched today. Um, <laughs> Remember the context of what's going on in the original Card Capture Sakura for that episode? Uh, which episode was this one I watched again? Sixty six or sixty five? Uh, sixty six, the one with the the star thing, the star maze. Yeah. Yes, I think I remember what was going on there, but that was not even. I don't even think it got mentioned at all, or even looked like it even happened. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Not not even once. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember that episode in the the Japanese dub. I was like, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> Why is it show yeah. on doing anything? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Um, sorry. And no. what we mean by what was originally going on was um, yeah. <laughs> the the fact that a, a big part of that episode of sixty six was that Sakura was working up the courage to tell Yukito how she felt finally. Right. It's such a visually distinct scene as well. Like the, the lighting and atmosphere in it are so well considered. And, but they changed the dialogue completely to be about, um, you know, Julian now knowing what's at, what he is and, and, and UA's nature and their connection with, with Chloe Reed. And, uh, sorry, I guess these are, this is kind of spoilerish if you haven't seen the show and we're not even going to that much detail for, for, for those who, who have. It's been 20 years, yeah. I think. It's been. Spoilers yeah, for 20-year-old anime. Yeah. yeah. I think knowing what happens going in isn't going to hurt your enjoyment of the show, frankly. Yeah, nah. I've known the spoilers but, for years, and I've still enjoyed it, what, yeah. catching up on episodes that I never got to see. Yeah. And I will say, like, when I was watching Cardcaptor Sakura, I was kind of relieved that uh, Yukito slash Julian would eventually understand what he was, because I was worried that he'd continue on being completely oblivious, that he was just a disguise for uh, for UA, which would have been really frustrating. The Cardcaptor stuff opts to focus on that entirely and take away Sakura's confession scene, which is, you know, a really, really great yeah. scene in the original, too. So it shows that even, you know, mm-hmm. even in these episodes, you're going to have really dramatic ups and downs. Notably that confession scene also confer- uh includes the confirmation that like Yukito slash Julian likes someone else that and that someone else is confirmed to be Toya slash yeah. Tori. Yeah, exactly. So you you're miss you're definitely missing that major part of it as well. A lot to say about the, those two episodes, both the original and and the adaptation choices that are made. But yeah, kids WB Sliced those two episodes together, and from what I understand, their version of it is just lost media now. No one has actually uploaded that onto the internet, so I've only heard vague ramblings about how they handled it. But when you watch those episodes, you can definitely see why Kids WB, if they were the ones who were mandating the extreme downplaying of any kind of relationships, why they wouldn't be happy with the the end result because it's it's still not enough. Still doesn't focus enough on the cards. So. You're looking at all these additional edits that were made by Kids WB and all of these other decisions that are made even in the like quote unquote complete Nelvana version. The whole thing did air in Australia and there's been this um kind of persistent myth on the internet that Australia got the uh got the real Nelvana dub, like the one that keeps everything intact and is more authentic to the original and that's a complete lie. Uh no such thing exists. People have thought that all the way back to the Usenet days. It seems to be a perception to this day. There seems to be a small group of people who are determined to 
restore the Australian cut of card captors and show people the true glory of, of what Nelvana was trying to do. And it, it, it doesn't exist. I think people have this misconception because they aired all 70 episodes in order. And also because there was one episode they aired that had alternate takes. I think it was episode seven specifically. There's a video on YouTube that sh- compares the differences between the U.S. and the the, the Japanese version. They're interesting differences. Uh, the the Australian version it sounds more a little more like anime dialogue, translated anime dialogue, a little less localized, a little less emphasis on like the 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 gender of the uh, the young thief character. Um, mm. And stuff like that. So as far as anyone knows, that's the only episode that had any differences. I haven't been able to find any evidence that uh, it was different elsewhere. And if anything, it just communicates to me that they did a shit ton of retakes for this show. Um, (laughs) Probably because, you know, this is speculation. But I would imagine that Kids WB probably wasn't happy with what they were getting a lot of the time. And probably made them go back and redub things. Uh, and I, I've seen, I know that, uh, uh, Lee's voice actor, he, he gives a bit of an inconsistent performance sometimes. He's a bit all over the place. And that also suggests that, you know, a lot of retakes were going on with this show, especially in the earlier episodes. Um, the Australian version also has, uh, a English version of the Japanese opening as well. That's definitely one of the, the strangest thing. And that, that's still kind of a mystery. Uh, we don't know where that dubbed opening came from. I'm, I have two theories. Uh, either that was made in-house by Nelvana at a very, very, very early stage of localization, uh, or it was actually produced in-house by the Australian company that was handling card captors in Australia, which was Madman Entertainment, who is basically the, well, even at that time, they were the monopolizing anime company of Australia. They are now the Sony-owned <laughs> monopolizing hmm company of all anime in australia uh but nelvana basically just kind of let them handle that title in in australia and i think that the reason they maybe used some alternate takes reordered the episodes made sure they had every episode and put that opening in i think they were because they're an anime company they were just trying to make sure that the tv version was in as intact as they could possibly get it but ultimately you know the the materials they were limited by the materials they could get and could only do so well so Essentially, what they got in Australia was the same same thing we got, just with a different opening and, and a couple couple things changed around. There's no there's no fabled Australian um, <laughs> version. It's it's 100% myth. Don't believe it. Hmm. In regards to again, who was making these decisions? Uh, I tried to dig up as much information as I could, and on what there was one Usenet user who actually did manage to get an interview with someone from Nelvana. It, this was from a website that's no longer there called fantasticon.com. And the only reason I give this any any credence is because Chris McDonald from Anime News Network is one of the people who submitted a question for this this kind of interview. But I'll I'll just read a couple of the, the answers that this Nelvana rep apparently gave, although I, it was probably an email back and forth if anything. You, you know, one person, the person doing the interview asked, "Why did you skip the first episode and jump to episode 8 of the series?" Uh Nelvana, the WB requested that we start from the first episode where Lee Shoran is introduced. So immediately pointing fingers at the WB for for that decision. Another question, if your goal is to attract primarily boys, why did you select Cardcaptor Sakura, a show dominated by the female protagonist and obvious girlish themes throughout? Nelvana, we purchased the rights to distribute Cardcaptor Sakura long before the kids WB purchased the broadcasting rights. Their market is primarily boys, 
and we believe we're keeping the series enjoyable for both boys and girls equally. Another another question by Kyle Pope uh, of the the edit list on Anime News Network. Why are the relationships being toned down or eliminated, i.e. same-sex relationships and even heterosexual relationships as well? Novana Rep said, this series is about capturing the various magical cards running about, not about sexual relationships. The various relationships you speak of are not conducive to children's programming. So some interesting answers there. A lot of uh, pointing to the WB for some of the changes and also like, immediately associating any kind of any kind of relationship with with sex. And keeping that obviously very different and uh, divergent from capturing cards, which is the real focus of, of card captures, apparently. Uh, but yeah, it, it, nonetheless, it does seem that Kids WB was definitely more than just the U.S. broadcaster. Another thing worth pointing out is that the theme song, a lot of which I have found that a lot of people actually like the North American card captures theme song. Because of that, I will not comment on my opinions of that <laughs> theme song. It was composed by David Dore. He currently, so he currently runs Dore Me Productions in California. As far as I can tell, he worked for the sound department at the WB at this time. And also in a 2003 interview that Charles Solomon did for the LA Times, uh, John Hardman, who was the senior VP for Kids WB Programming, he had this to say, this Sakura is feistier. She's an empowered female, not only to attract girls, but to make sure boys realize she's someone they would aspire to befriend. We looked for an actress with an older voice to make sure we appeal to the upper end of our demographics. We never use the Japanese voices as benchmarks because we know the audiences are so different. So a lot, a lot, a lot to chew on in that statement, especially their whole perception of targeting things at boys versus targeting things at girls. The perception of what a character like Sakura or how audiences will respond to a character like Sakura. Who in the original Japanese, she's very, she's proactive, but at the same time, very vulnerable. She's a fourth grader. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting that they would choose to try to make her less so. Well, that was the main thing that I noticed about the voice performances was that like, <laughs> that everybody sounded quite mature, right. despite the fact yeah. that they're in these tiny, like, fourth grader bodies. Yeah, this quote also highlights that Kids WB played a role in the casting. On, on one hand, you have all this extra editing that the Kids WB did that kind of stigmatized the dub for people in many ways. But on the other hand, they were extremely hands-on with, with every stage of this. Uh, I even found a promotional video that was uh, that was released to like to uh, stores and, and toy distributors and stuff uh, in 1999 to promote the show to them. And uh, th this would have been about the time that, that Nelvana confirmed they had the license. And it's it supposedly the first episode. It is episode eight, which was apparently Kids WB's decision. So, you know, this 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 goes back really far. And if Nelvana did indeed license the show long before Kids WB was involved, they were hands-on in this really quick. They must have been looking into this show, like, shortly after it started airing in Japan, if not possibly even before that. So this... You know, this this all goes back a lot a, a lot longer than I think people realize. Unless you know a lot about licensing, then you know that this all this stuff is is a giant mess anyway. But anyway, we we were we were kind of getting into the the voice cast for the English version, so maybe let's uh, let's talk about that. Sakura, played by Carly McKillop, uh, she was actually you know for all we said about characters sounding more mature or assertive, uh, she was 11 at the time that she did this role. Really? Um, she's mostly yeah yeah she was. Um, she was, a few years later, she was in this uh, Canadian sitcom, Alice, I think. And she has since formed a country music duo with her sister, Britt McKillop. 
and it's called One More Girl. And apparently they're still active. Um, I don't think they've put out very many albums. That surprises me. She really does sound mature for her age at that time then. Yeah. Was it the same one for both the the North American and the Australian tape? They're the same cast, yeah. They're the same cast, right? Yeah. yeah. Did they? So they retook different lines and used them for different uh, regions, didn't they? Right? So... Or at least that one episode, yeah. They, I think what more what happened was they they re-recorded stuff multiple times, and for whatever reason, the Australian version just wound up having that those alternate takes, and oh, Madman opted to use them. I don't know exactly what happened. It's a mystery. This is what's fueling all this like mm. myth mythological status of of alternate versions. Yeah, of, uh, I would guess they prepared one version of that episode, and then like they had it in the can, and then somebody requested changes last minute for the WB yeah. version, maybe. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, the localized version of Sakura definitely is a lot more different from her Japanese counterpart. Uh, but I feel like it was a good, like to me at least, it was a good, uh, character for like young kids to relate to, I guess. She's, because yeah. for, for me, I guess like, a, like Sakura in the Japanese dub, she's really gentle. She's really nice. I don't think you would really see that over on this side of the continent, you know? Like for like uncut modern anime dubs, it's it's obviously different, but for something you yeah. for a character you'd have on TV, definitely not something you'd hear so much. No. Um, but she yeah, she's very Especially. distinct and and I guess a, a more relatable voice for 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 kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, I certainly remembered her very strongly. That's why I recognized her so, like almost immediately in those other shows. She has a very distinctive voice. Mhm. Yeah, and um, I mean, you compare like I think who does her voice in Clear Card? It was the same as in Subasa. Is it Monica Real? Yeah, it's uh, Monica Real in Subasa and Clear Card. Uh, Kari Walgren in in the Genion's dub of the second movie in, in Clear Card, which is obviously just not not aired on TV in North America and just released for an anime audience. She has a, you know, Mo- I think Monica Real does a good job, but it's it it is it's an anime voice, anime dub voice, mm. much more typical and. I watched some, I mean, I watched some of Clear Card and, you know, the voices are good, but I find they're not as natural or distinct as, as what you f- uh, hear in the Ocean dub. Um, I think, I think the casting, for, for all you can say about Card Captors as a localization project, um, I think the performances are good for the most part. You know, a little dodgy when you have child actors like Carly McKillop and Reese Huber plays Lee Shelron. Yeah, I I think Lee Shoran is probably the weakest of the main cast. Yeah. When you look past the, the child voice actors who are, you know, some issues sometimes, but for the most part, good and relatable. Uh, I think the cast is, is pretty solid. Uh, you have Nicole Oliver as Mei Lin. And, you know, example oh, she's of, great, yeah. Yeah, adult doing a child's voice, but it's, you know, it works really well. Uh, as we mentioned before, Matt Hill as, as Kiro, I, I think it's a great take on the character. Uh, watching Clear Card... I, I really, I found it, I, really quickly I found that I was missing Matt Hill as, as Kiro. He, he was a lot of fun in that role. Yeah, going from like Osaka accent to surfer dude is not a, not a, a bad logical leap it's, when trying to figure not. out a distinctive voice. <laughs> not at all. Uh, then we have, uh, Maggie Blue O'Hara as, uh, as Madison slash Tomoyo. Uh, I, actually I re- I really like Maggie Blue O'Hara. She was also the voice of Bulma, the first voice of Bulma in, uh, in Dragon Ball. And I think I think she was really great as that character too. I really like her her take on Tomoyo and, and Madison. I think uh, it's really distinct kind of voice. 
Definitely one that I'm missing watching Clear Card. In case you don't know, Clear Card is the more recent series. It was dubbed by Funimation, primarily by a, a Dallas cast. So, you know, more like the people you typically hear in anime now. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who her voice actress is in uh, in Funimation's English dub of that, but she's very breathy. She's definitely laboring to kind of, kind of imitate the Japanese voice, which... You know, as uh, as Rin touched on, that doesn't always work in English, even if you're doing more of a straight dub and not something for TV. Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, Willow Johnson as Ruby Moon. B- Bill Switzer, also a, a, a young teenage actor or a young teenage actor at the time, was was Eli, or uh, which is the the dub name for Alias. Uh, I thought he was a an adult actor because he's he's has a fairly deep voice and also curiously no British accent, which is something they do do in Clear. <laughs> even though he's supposed to be a british character um maybe they were just trying to uh, avoid the pitfalls of that uh who knows mm-hmm. um even sam yeah. even sam vincent is julian i i think he's fine it's appropriate for the character yeah no i i like the work on on julian slash ua because he's he's got the range to do both the like the sweet uh the sweet side of the character and also the more like stoic ua there's one voice that i do think is hilariously inappropriate but i still kind of like it and that's colin murdoch as spinner <laughs> oh no, he's great! <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, I I, I love I, it. I listened it's... to him after you said that, and I was like, "No, he's great." <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad that it's hilariously inappropriate. I think it's good that it's hilariously inappropriate. But when you compare it to the Japanese, it's like it's so different. But it's it's yeah, a really no, it's I, a really funny take on the character. I I had to go listen to some clips from like the episode where Spinner gets drunk on candy because I knew that would be the test for that voice. Yeah. Uh, no, he does a great job. <laughs> Nelvana never licensed the second movie of Cardcaptor Sakura, but uh, Genion did release it. And when they released it, they made their own authentic, uncut dub. I think it's really unfortunate that they went with an L.A. cast for that inst- instead of sending it back to Ocean Group, who they worked with a lot of the time, and just giving them a chance to do with that same voice cast, do an authentic dub. Because I think, I I, were, I really would have loved to see that. They probably didn't do it because in the United States, this dub had become so stigmatized that hmm. the uh, that, that their audience wasn't going to want to hear those voices again. But I, I think it would have been a great opportunity for all those voice actors. And they also robbed us of the chance to see uh, the true highlight of this franchise, which is the uh, Leave it to Kiro-chan short. At the uh, at the end of the second movie, to hear Matt Hill and Colin Murdoch uh, playing the characters in in that whole bit, I think that would have been absolutely incredible. But it will never happen, which is is a little sad. <laughs> so I, I have a little bit of a voice actor connection to like drop real quick here. Mm-hmm, yeah. Speaking of like connections to other shows, um, <laughs> Matt Hill, Sam Vincent, and I believe Tony Sampson, voices of uh, Caro, Julian, and Tori are also the voices of uh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, all three of them. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that must have been a fun little project. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Really different voices, too, but yeah. 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 Speaking of movies, Nelvana did license the first Cardcaptor Sakura movie. This is a little interesting because it's the one piece of the Nelvana dub that... I don't think Kids WB had any involvement in. It uh, It aired on Teletoon. It did not air on Kids WB. And what's interesting is that the movie is actually visually uncut. There are no visual edits or changes to it whatsoever in Nelvana's version. The, the music has changed. There are storyline changes. But for the most part, it's more or less intact. 
and also notably, uh, obviously because, uh, they're not cutting any footage, Sakura's crush on Julian is in full display in that version. And because the Nelvana dub doesn't remove any footage, and obviously Kodansha still owns that dub, uh, when Discotech licensed it, they put that dub on the DVD. The DVD is actually fully bilingual because it's intact, so they may as well use it rather than trying to produce one themselves, which would be too expensive. And because uh, the DVD had that dub, uh, that dub is also available streaming. It is the one piece of the Nelvana dub that is actually still legally available to this day. You can watch um, the dub of the first movie on Crunchyroll and Retro Crush, and it's free on Retro Crush as well. If you have like Plex TV, which is free, anyone can download it, there's a there's an on there's a retro crush channel and they frequently run uh the the first card capture soccer movie with that English dub. Which uh you know, I think it's pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> it's, no, uh, I watched not... the, the dub on uh, Crunchyroll, uh, just out yeah. of curiosity. <laughs> yeah. So I mean what, what did what did you think of uh of that version compared to like the T V version? Uh well it definitely is like a a window into like the most like complete that the Nelvana version ever could have been, for sure. Yeah. Uh, considering whatever, like, goals they had for it and restrictions they were operating under. It's still not great in some respects, just in terms of, like, like some stiltedness of the acting and, like, changes to the storyline, like you mentioned. I think the most weird change that they, they went with, I guess, is this, the, the changes to the motivations of the antagonists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I did, I purposefully didn't look up what the original motivations were when I watched the dub version. Um, and it, even watching it not knowing what her original storyline was, I could tell something was up because something felt off about yeah. uh, her backstory when they brought it up. They they went they dis- they described it as being like, oh, Chloe Reed taught this lady magic or whatever, but she decided to use it for evil. Uh-huh. But the, nothing on screen suggests that that was the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a you know you're still you're still getting a little bit of the uh, removal of nuance. Uh, a little bit that uh that I think was going to be inevitable with with Nilvana's version but ultimately a little more authentic. Yeah, it was really nice to see like especially like Carly McKillop's Sakura like going through like there's a bunch of dream sequences in that mm-hmm. movie and just generally I watched a, a few episodes of the like TV run that were very dreamy for Sakura as well like the one well where the dream card appears. Yes. Um yes. and she does do a very good like mystified like dreaming sakura like who are you where where am i that sort of like <laughs> lost kind of voice yeah um uh, and yeah yeah uh rin have you uh did, have you seen the first movie did you have any thoughts on it offhand maybe i don't remember the dub because i saw it the movie sub like both of them okay i don't remember the dub at all though yeah so or- i i don't think everyone caught that one it, it aired it aired a couple yeah. years later when it was on teletoon but yeah, just uh, just to kind of summarize the English version of Card Captors on Teletoon. So they 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 actually began when they began running it in the fall of 2000. They actually started running it in the same order as Kids WB. So as I mentioned, Kids WB started with episode eight, which to be fair, kind of plays out like a reintroduction to the series. But uh, obviously, the reason for doing this was to or, or reduce the focus specifically on Sakura. And have um, a little more of it shifted over to to Lee Shaoran. You know, it's not because they were trying to make make him the main character, like people say a yeah, lot of the time. Yeah, I've heard that claim before. It's not which true. Is, 
It's not true at all. Sakura, she is very much the main character uh, in, in this series. But it's it's definitely just to, out of a misguided sense to make the show more relatable for, for both girls and boys. However, I haven't been able to pin down the actual date that this happened, but it was definitely sometime early to mid-2001. Teletoon started running card captors in the correct order that matched the Japanese version. And this was probably due to a lot of the uh, the fan feedback they were getting, because, again, unlike with Kids WB, who chopped the show down, ran it in inconsistent hours, and took it off the air fairly quickly. I think I think they were done with it before the end of 2001. Teletoon was actually running it at multiple times during the day. They advertised it well. It uh, It got eyeballs. It got attention. People were getting into it. So they actually... And, Keep in mind, we're talking about the broadcaster here that, to, like, as long as they ran the show over the course of 15 years, they never once managed to run the Venture Brothers in the correct order, which is infuriating. Um, but they did reorder card captors correctly and and ran it for the remainder of the run. And, and that initial run went into, I think, 2002. So I think a reason for that was probably due to fan feedback. And it only it only helped the show's reputation more. Uh, and I think a lot of these episodes are mishandled, but I think giving people the opportunity to spend more time with the characters and the world across the breadth of 70 episodes, that's going to do a lot to to help, you know, people gain an appreciation for the series, even if it's heavily edited. And and also getting the plot beats uh, in order makes a big difference, even if a lot of it has changed. And I think, you know, for the most part, even though so much has changed in this you know, I, you know, I mentioned that card captors to to Subasa pipeline. Um, I think a lot of people legitimately like jumped into a lot of the clamp stuff immediately after card captors, and it gives you kind of what you need to know in order to do that. Like with as far as you know, things with background and Chloe Reed and the basic themes that you see in a lot of clamp stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the bare minimum, but it's 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 kind of enough. But uh, but anyway, yeah, for the most part, it seems that this show did well for Teletoon. Uh, it's not clear how well it really did on the kids WB, the fact that they didn't want to show every episode of this thing they probably paid a lot of money for probably tells you a lot. But in any press release you find, you know, Nelvana will cite what a huge success Card Captors has been. But in any case, uh, the venture with Kodansha and Nelvana was considered successful enough that they continued their relationship, and this is what led them to later license Metabots. Uh, which was also a title they licensed through Kodansha. And I think it also influenced their later licensing of Beyblade as well, uh, because the Beyblade manga was licensed by Kodansha. So I think they were, they were definitely a partner in that production committee and played a role in that. And we've already, I've already done a, a retrospective on Beyblade uh, a few years ago, which you can, you can go back and listen to that, uh, for, for a little more on, uh, on where the relationship went with that. And obviously they made lots and lots of money <laughs> off of Beyblade. But there's one other thing I want to mention about the Teletoon broadcast is that, uh, let's not forget, Teletoon is in both English and French. There's an English Teletoon and there is a French Teletoon. And around, you know, in its early days of 1999 and 2000, Teletoon was all about trying to keep those two stations as in sync as possible. So Nelvana only had the rights to Cardcaptor Sakura in English, but they wanted an equivalent to that for the French channel as well. Uh, but there already was a dub of Cardcaptor Sakura that was running in France, and it was already dubbed in French. So, what they did, this resulted in Teletoon making the very rare move of licensing that significantly more faithful France-produced dub, which is called Sakura Shashu Dakar. And that that version 
you know, they changed the names in it, so it's, it, which they were still doing in French dubs at that point. The name changes are a little more appropriate in that version. Like, you look at, like, Sailor Moon and Pretty Cure, where they localize the names. Those decisions make sense. Like, Honoka becomes Hannah. That makes sense. Ami and Rei, they, uh, basically the same names, but just, like, massaged a little. The name changes in card captors are so out there. Like, how do you get Madison from Tomoyo? It's so strange. Just that there are three syllables, basically, both of them. Yeah, pretty much. She's Tiffany in in the French dub, which is like, okay, that kind of starts with the same letter and sound, so that's that makes a little more sense as a localization. And uh, the relationships are all intact. Every episode is fully intact, and I, do, I don't believe they made any edits for time on it either, because obviously Teletoon can, can run things. Teletoon doesn't have the same advertising time that something that Kids WB did. Importantly, for French-speaking viewers, uh, this was like a very brief, glorious return to having anime on TV again in French, in, in French. Cause it had been a few years since like Radio Canada and, and all those stations had stopped running anime. They ran anime all through the late seventies, all through the eighties, through the early nineties, but it all stopped around 95 or 96. So this was kind of exciting for, for people. Cause the, the only other time the Teletoon did this was with Naruto a few years later. They did, they ran Naruto as well. Uh, but it was, it, that was it. They never pursued it further. And it's interesting, I, I mentioned how I was reaching out to people on social media in, who watched Cardcaptors in Canada. Most of the most negative opinions I heard about Cardcaptors were for, from bilingual people who watched both the English and French Teletoon and could tell even as children that the French adaptation was the superior version. And, you know, the voice acting's not great in it. It is, it is, uh, fairly localized still. Uh, but I mean, the music's unchanged. It's accurate script. It's, it's, it's a good dub. Interestingly, though, when um, that dub aired on the M6 broadcaster in France, this didn't go for every broadcast, uh, but the M6 uh, channel, when they ran Chachou de Car, it had two opening themes by Europop sensation Froggy Mix. Oh God! <laughs> Is that where this I totally forgot about that thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So Froggy Mix uh, was mixed up in this this card capture Sakura stuff. I tried to research this as well as I could. I'm still not a hundred percent sure on what the connection between um, this Europop band and uh, and Card Captors is. They had two themes from their album were used as openings in this one broadcast in uh, in France. Um, there was another broadcast in France that didn't use these themes, and I think that's actually what wound up airing in uh, in French Canada. The Froggy Mix songs, nowhere to be found on the French Teletoon broadcast, um, contrary to what's been reported in some places. But n- one of the songs, No Nagging, was used as the ending theme for some of the later English Teletoon episodes. I don't know if you guys explicitly remember that, but they were they used that song as the ending theme, and they ran one of the music videos on Teletoon quite a few times. And I, th- I think it made its way onto Kids WB as well, but it was definitely more prominent in the Canadian stuff. But uh, it's this uh, highly, these days especially, highly questionable appropriation of of, of, of Japanese cultural imagery. <laughs> with Very like Gwen Stefani style or, or Apple very style. much, Yeah. And uh, you, you think the no nagging one is bad. You should check out the one for Razzmatazz. It's even worse. Oh, I didn't watch that one. Yeah, that's that is like borderline yellow face. <laughs> but there, there was some kind of uh, cross promotion going on there. 
So I don't know exactly what happened here, but I did notice looking at the credits of the of like the music video that footage they said footage from Cardcaptor Sakura used with permission from Nelvana. So my theory with that is that they probably Froggy Mix wanted to bring that music and those music videos to North America, but because Nelvana owned the rights, they probably had they were forced to collaborate with Nelvana in order to just secure the the rights to use that footage in uh in the music videos. And of course, if you're doing that, you may as well go all the way and have a cross promotion going on to whatever extent you can. And you know, obviously Kodansha was uh was real thirsty at this point. So I'm sure they had uh, a big role uh, in all that as well. But yeah, that was like a, a weird a weird little thing that was going on. I don't know, did you guys ever see those music videos playing anywhere outside of Teletoon? No. No. Like I, I I don't think I don't think so. I don't remember Froggy Mix even being a thing outside of the context of card captors. But they it was definitely being pushed and it felt very like a very strange decision to do so. Yeah, I tr- I was even trying to remember where I had even heard the song cuz I know I've heard that no nagging song, but I don't remember seeing that music video at all. So yeah, I wonder if I just it? saw commercials that happened to use it. It was played at the end of each anime, like yeah. a little bit later when it was released. Right? I, I probably didn't see a lot of the later episodes, I guess. Yeah, yeah I think oh, okay. I yeah. think in like the like the last third of the show uh, or something mm-hmm. they were they were putting and th- and like that they were they were putting them in as in the credits and that's those songs came out in two thousand one. So I think this was kind of a a deal that was struck later on uh, in that uh, in that whole thing. But yeah, the the woman who's the vocalist in that band, uh, she goes by the name Bettina Antoni. So she she was apparently a um a host on like a French television program. She she didn't do any of like the children's programs or the anime blocks or anything. But uh she did later do uh years after Froggy Mix, she did a collaboration with Snoop Dogg. Uh so oh. you know, very satisfying to know that there's an indirect connection between Cardcaptor Sakura and Snoop Dogg. I think that's really great. <laughs> but yeah, very strange little uh little um little piece of ephemera that's confused me for a long time. Yeah. And We're getting it, uh, it's, a little far out into the weeds at this point, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's still confusing. I don't know all the details. I don't think we ever will. So let's finish off with the merchandise. Um, for all that's said about uh card captors being like targeted to boys, uh, the the merchandise that was released for it absolutely one hundred percent is what you would call quote unquote toys for girls. There's there's at least one ad. Uh, you know. They're girls playing with dolls. The, they had the, um, the full book with the, with the clo cards, which actually looks pretty cool. Those, those look like a, it looks like a really solid set. Sure. And, I, I didn't know, have them, but I did handle them at one point because I remember looking at them. Yeah. They, um, th- there was a lot of merch out there. I think in the US at least it, uh, it wound up in clearance bins pretty quickly. I don't know how well it did in Canada, but obviously, Huge merchandising push um, went along with this. I feel like there was a point when I had the cloud cards, but it's memories very, mm. very hazy right now. Yeah, yeah. But I do remember seeing ads for it. Yeah, and uh, that that whole controversy with the Taco Bell toys that came out for for card captors as well. I don't think this affected Canada at all because, especially in 2000, Taco Bell just wasn't a thing here. Uh, I don't think there even was one near my house, and I, I, they certainly weren't doing promos for for kids' toys. 
Uh, Rin, wasn't there a talk? Wasn't there a Taco Bell out your way around then? Yes, yeah. there was. It's like a combination KFC Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah. But the, you never saw any any card captors toys at, at Taco Bell. Um, then. I don't think so. Yeah. I can't recall. Anyway, there was this dumb little controversy with where where a reverend complained because one of the toys um had some clo cards, which of course look like tarot cards, uh, which yeah. um hmm. harkens back to that uh that old school. What do you call like it? Satanic panic kind of thing? Satanic panic. Thank you. I, I don't think it actually went anywhere, but it's just, it's, it's kind of funny knowing that there was a, a Taco Bell controversy connected to Card Captain Sakura. <laughs> Did you guys have any other thoughts about the dub and the adaptation? One of the things I noticed is that, like, even though, like, all the names are localized, they very rarely paint over the Japanese text in the background That's like they did true. in a lot of other dubs. Yeah, like, but they, they won't acknowledge that it's in Japan, though. Yeah, it's still Readington is the name Readington. of the town and schools that they use. <laughs> yeah, re- re- apparently they went with Readington because it sounds like Clow Reed. Which yeah, I think and a, it's a even spelled de- that way. <laughs> yeah, that's a strange decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they definitely like it, it's especially weird because a big plot point of like the first season is the, the dream that Sakura keeps having, where she's standing facing what is clearly the Tokyo Tower. <laughs> It's the radio uh, tower now. It's just, the radio tower, guys. special about it. Definitely not a recognizable landmark. <laughs> I, I don't think they ever go as far as to say this is in America, but they definitely try, like, despite the fact that no Japanese text is painted over anywhere in this show, which is strange because usually this was the time when you were seeing lots of digital edits being made for that. In fact, I don't think the show had very yeah. many digital edits at all. You'd think an animation Yeah, I think company, I, I saw one, and it was when, like, Maylin first arrives and her name is written on the board in English yeah. text in the dub. Yeah. You think an animation company would have the resources to <laughs> to do digital edits like that, but no, not really. It's um but yeah, they 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 really go they really try to undermine it. Like in the Matsuri episode, they say they're going to a Chinese fair, which I think is that is very weird. And I, mm-hmm. I guess they, they do that because they want to acknowledge that it's something that is foreign looking, but they don't want to say it's Japanese because if they say it's Japanese, it will call attention to the fact that this is very obviously in Japan. <laughs> really, really weird localization decisions. Um, yeah, I think I heard that. them use the word bazaar as well, at least at some point yeah. uh, in yeah. one of the aerial episodes. <laughs> yeah. Another, a couple notes about like its perception and, and legacy. I think unlike with like Sailor Moon, uh, this was 2000, so kids could access the internet uh, when they were watching this. And I think that that played a big role, especially in the States, with th- the perception of this dub, because people, kid, even younger kids could more readily look up what how, information on card captors, see a lot of angry adults on the internet, and, and discover that this is very different from the original thing, or that it was a thing from Japan. And, you know, in a lot of cases, this could peak interest in looking up the original, which I think I think this is an early example of that being a little more of a common occurrence with heavily localized stuff. And also in Canada, I think one, one thing that a lot of Canadian viewers maybe don't appreciate all the time or don't fully understand is that the reason that like Fox Kids was licensing Escaflone or that Kids WB was licensing a show like that was not only that they were trying to capitalize on Pokemon, they were trying to compete with Toonami because Toonami was such a big thing on Cartoon Network in the States at this point. But of course, we didn't have Toonami in Canada, so we didn't kind of have that context. And because also because we didn't have Toonami, I think a show like Card Captors, which, you know, if you've watched Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, Gundam Wing, and you've got like a bit of a, a hunger for more, uh, for anime that doesn't lean so much into like 
like the Pokemon kind of formula or is not heavily obviously commercialized like like a, like a lot of other shows. And you don't have the resources to find anime on home video or on the internet. Uh, this is probably going to be very appealing to you. And I think that was the case for a lot of people. I also wanted to talk, uh, we mentioned that the characters sound more mature generally. I do want to point out the fact that they also have slight personality tweaks because this was yeah, like yeah. on the tail end of the late 90s, early 2000s. And like, I think edgier styles of comedy and writing were in at the time. The characters are a lot snarkier to each other in the dub. Oh, yeah, for sure. They insult each other a lot more. They make a lot more, like, pointed jabs at each other, especially between, like, Sakura and, uh, or, well, Sakura. (laughs) Sakura and Hiro and Lee. (laughs) It feels weird (laughs) considering, like, I, I know I'm looking at Sakura, who is a very sweet character. Um, and watching her, like, just be, like, a sass machine is kind of weird. Yeah, it really is. And, and Cardcaptor Soccer is a show known for, like, its pleasant character interactions, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will give props to, like, occasionally, uh, you will get a, a good snarky line. Like, uh, again, going back to that body swap episode, you can tell this is one of the ones I wrote more notes for. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, there's a line for, that one of Kiro's lines <laughs> to Lee is, <laughs> You, you ought to thank me. I gave you a personality. <laughs> Damn. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It, so it again, that's a little odd on a technical level in terms of like they, they were cutting things left, right and center. And often it really feels that way because like the edits themselves are really sloppy a lot of the yep. time. Like just from a technical standpoint, there's a lot of instances where like, a line will just seem to cut off or like you'll see a few frames of what would have been the next shot before they cut to another one or like things like that. Yes. Like Saban and four kids, um, they were at least good at, at, uh, at, at mangling anime to, to the point that they did. The, the dub also has a sequence at the end that they'll run sometimes probably in episodes where they had to cut more content where they, they have, um, a card of the day segment clearly supposed yeah. to be similar to the like who's that pokemon or whatever but i i always thought that that was to like catch viewers up on like uh like episodes that were cut like might have been yeah <clears throat> to show where sakura got some of these cards but the fact that they actually did dub all the episodes and still did that is interesting to me the teletoon broadcasts keep in the um Leave it to Kiro segments or Kiro's corner, yeah. as they call it. There, <laughs> apparently, those were cut in uh, the kids' WB broadcast because oh, they had to well, that keep, keep it. I guess if their time slots were even smaller, <laughs> really small. They ran so many ads um, <laughs> on kids' WB totally. back then. Because I do remember uh, Matt Hill's um, "Leave it to Kiro" segments. <laughs> yeah, or not "Leave it to Kiro." Kiro's corner. Hey, Kiro's hey corner. there, Kart fans! Welcome to Kiro's corner. I I remember that very well. Yeah, I do remember that now too. It reminds me. <laughs> Ren, any other any last thoughts on the the dub before we just uh, give some more general thoughts on the show? I kind of want to go watch it again. Quite honest with you, yeah. Just listen. Yeah, yeah. I know I didn't talk a lot to this whole thing, but I don't remember it finishing the dub. Just bits and pieces of it here and there, mm-hmm. right? But I did mm-hmm. get into it, get into the anime once I did find it, like on the internet when I was younger. But I want to, I kind of want to go back in and reappreciate what the dub was. Yeah, it's a, find it's all a the curiosity nuances. for sure. Yeah. Oh, there actually, there is one other thing we haven't discussed uh, about the dub is how they handle the final three episodes. 
uh, which mm, is a little oh, interesting. Yes. So as I've touched on before, they they greatly minimized the subplot or the the kind of really uh, focus of the final season, which is the relationship between Sakura and, and Sharon Lee. Uh, and, you know, Sharon kind of, kind of dealing with that for the last 20 or so episodes. Uh, there was all, all this bear symbolism that was going on throughout that season where he was like making her a bear and wanted to give her the bear. This, this whole bear thing has carried over into clear card. Um, all bears have been removed in the Nelvana version, <laughs> which is, uh, which is too bad because it's, it's nice bear symbolism. <laughs> yeah. And like, but they go to, maybe the the most extreme in the final three episodes because the third last episode, it's almost entirely intact. And what they do is instead of cutting five minutes out of that episode like they do for nearly every other episode, they carry that five minutes over into the next episode, into the second uh second last episode and, and pad it out a little more. And then from the they take about ten minutes from the end of that episode carry it over into the final episode. So you get a little of that last battle with Ariel and uh and Ruby Moon and and Spinner carried into the final episode because originally the 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 final episode which is more of an epilogue. So they get the battle in there. And then what they do, they add some more flashbacks into that final episode and it actually ends before the final scene uh with Sakura and Sharon Lee in the airport. I didn't I didn't watch the whole final episode dubbed but i saw like a comparison clip on youtube showing like the differences in that last episode yeah and it just kind of like you expectedly you see a few shots are cut out a few lines are cut out or changed or whatever but then it makes a leap over one scene to get to sakura in her room when uh spoilers um she creates one final card and in the uh i'm guessing in the original i still haven't watched the original end of the series yet because i want to i want to watch all of cardcaptor sakura properly before i do that uh but i presume she's she's thinking more about like her feelings for sharon and whatnot at that point whereas in the dub they make it more about the fact that she's he's going back home and like she's just sad about losing her friend and yeah. the final shot of the dub is her is that new card that she's created and the feeling that like oh maybe I'll see him again someday maybe there's hope for that so that again i emphasize that's not the kids wb edit that is the quote unquote raw nelvana version that completely lops off that ending compared to something like the Esca, like the saban escaflone dub which at least got a lot better as it went on and was more closer to the original by the time you get to the last few episodes it felt like card captors had bottomed out in in terms of the way it was handling uh, that kind of thing at the end. I, that was really disappointing to see. On that note, it's still I think it still would have been cool if Teletoon had like licensed the second movie because they they picked up a bunch of movies from Genion in about like 2007 or something. Like they got Akira and, and Armitage and a couple more. Genion had the rights to the second card captor soccer movie. I think it would have been like cool if they had run that on tv and picked up the rights to it but it would have been completely contrary to what people had seen in the end of um of of the card captors dub because it focuses entirely on the stuff that was cut from uh from from, from that english dub or downplayed so much uh in the final few episodes but, yeah you would have either yeah. like if you were watching the dub and went straight to clear card you would either not know what was going on at all because you didn't see those episodes at all or you did see those episodes and they just didn't focus on that stuff at all 
Yeah. All right. And um, any any final thoughts on just Card Captor Sakura in general? Just your your impressions of uh, of the show itself. Uh, not not what? focusing on the the localized stuff. Watch it. It's good. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so gorgeous. Yeah. Like I, a lot of this stuff, just for the sake of time, I had to watch it on my phone. I feel bad for doing that because you you know there, a lot is said today about how a lot of older cell based animation looks better when you watch it on VHS or with the scan lines or whatever. That is not the case with Card Captor Sakura. You got to watch this like on the biggest TV you can with the best well, yeah, video quality you can. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I think it looks better than Clear Card. Like Clear Card is like a really great digital production. But it does not look as good as the original. Yeah, it looks, the colors are a little muddier. The lines are a little less sharp. Yeah. Also, I think with, with Cardcaptor Sakura, as I suggested with Kiro, uh, I think it's like the perfect level of cute. Like it manages to be really, really endearing and sweet without being overly saturated. Um, and I think that, uh, that really helps set a good, a good tone that makes it approachable to a lot of audiences. I, I will say there's one major thing about the, the original that I, I do have to say. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, in, Go in on. terms of a detract detraction from it, yeah. I think I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you can probably guess if you know anything about Card Captor Sakura. The the one thing, the one good thing that did come out of the changes in the Nelvana dub and the, re- re- the reduction of every single romantic relationship or instance of romantic feelings, is it did remove um, some very questionable relationship subplots from the original. That like watching nowadays as an adult, I. I look back and I'm like side-eyeing Nanase Okawa a lot because there were a lot of weird relationships like that throughout Clamp. Oh my god, we've we've gone more than two hours now and we haven't mentioned Rika. <laughs> yep, probably for the best. But yep, yeah, um, hmm. For those who don't know, there are a few character relationships in the original Card Capture Sakura where there is a significant age gap. Um, one is the for, the relationship between Sakura's mom and dad, who when uh when her mom was still alive, they fell in love uh as student and teacher, and not even college student and teacher, high school student and teacher. Yeah, the, they the, got married when he was a te- he was a university teacher or or a whatever teacher, and she was sixteen. The anime version it downplays this a little bit. Uh, the manga version, like, actively calls attention to it, though. So that's uncomfortable. Tomoyo's mother rightfully yelling at Sakura's father for marrying her that young in that episode <laughs> when they talked oh, yeah, about we it. Have, we haven't really talked about uh, Tomoyo that much in this episode either. They w- One one change, and I guess it's kind of seamless, is that obviously in the original, Tomoyo is like, kind of has st- a stalker level obsession with Sakura, which I, I guess she kind of gets from her mother because her mother was also in love with Sakura's mother, uh, even though Who they were cousins. also cousin. her cousin. Her cousin, yes. They're, and that's not the only cousin relationship in the show either. It's funny, if you go to the Clamp wiki and look up the uh, the article about Mei Lin, for, like right up front, it's like, Mei, Li- Mei Ling Lee is a character in the anime version of Cardcaptor Sakura. She is the first cousin of Shaoran Lee and his betrothed since childhood. Not I like even how- a second cousin. <laughs> yeah, and I like how they call they call attention to that immediately. Like just just in case you think it might be like a fruits basket thing where everyone's you know they're all fairly distant cousins in that show. It's like no, this is the first cousin. And if you go if you go through that article, it's kind of funny because they talk about the Nelvana changes and they say 
In the U.S. version of the of the series, Mei Ling is renamed Mei Lin Ray so that the relationship between Sharon as cousins is non-existent due to Nelvana deeming it inappropriate. Whoever wrote mm. that is very angry at that change. and i i was actually curious too about like did they think that this was okay because they thought it would be like okay because they're chinese characters no cousin marriage is very illegal in china i believe (laughs) yeah yeah and i I know that okawa has said that part of the theme she wanted to explore in card captor sakura is like unconventional relationships which Mm. that's kind of an interesting way of putting it (laughs) yep (laughs) like just I understand that Sakura's crush on Yukito. That's that there is an age gap there, but clearly it is not uncommon for young kids to have crush crushes on older people. And that yeah. episode where she says her feelings to Yukito, I think they play that very well with him yeah. letting her down gently and trying no. to tell her like, "You think of me like you think of a family member you love very much." Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. I, I don't yeah, know. but yeah, <laughs> that, that's but, yeah. great. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and also uh, Rika and uh, the teacher as well. That's is, the worst one. That's, that's absolutely the, worst the worst one. Yeah. So in the manga, so what happens is Rika has a crush on her teacher, and what happens in the manga is that they like they don't get into a relationship, but it's like they have like this this promise that they will be together later when when she gets older which is whatever i i don't care about any kind of justification that they get for it it's it's really creepy yeah no this guy is clearly in his like late 20s early 30s she's 10 yeah there's no justification for that at all no and i don't know if in japan sometimes i get the feeling that grooming just isn't stigmatized there the same way that it is here yeah i don't i don't understand how stuff like that is just so com- well it's fairly commonplace in a lot of shojo manga especially stuff in like nakayoshi like i don't think that like your average japanese person thinks that differently of it either but it's just so weird that it's so prominent in in like such mainstream things that are targeted at such young people it is worth Mm -hmm. emphasizing that the anime version tones that down significantly even in the japanese version and that version for the most part rika has a crush on her teacher and they they kind of leave it at that they 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 do Mm -hmm. uncomfortably yeah they they uncomfortably you know tiptoe into it now and again for the most part i don't i don't think it's really that bad how it is in the original yeah i think i caught one instance of the teacher blushing back at one point and that yeah. was about it that that's about it i and i think that you know with some massaging i think that even could have worked in the uh english localization yeah. but what they do is they change it so that rika is afraid of her teacher yeah that was i was gonna say that was uh, the dub change i was like oh that kind of makes it more appropriate <laughs> it's also yeah you know, it kind of creates weird baggage when you when you know the what's actually going on and there's i guess there's there's just no way of making that good that's why they wrote rika out in, uh, in clear card <laughs> it's just like she went to another school we're not going to talk about her anymore sent her on a bus as the tv yeah. tropes crowd likes to say <laughs> you know what to be quite honest with you i totally didn't notice any of that probably because i was younger then yeah so that's really fair yeah fair but, enough yeah if i went back to it now, i mean i, I didn't totally either. called all that out yeah for <laughs> sure so i've been reviewed it recently but now that you mentioned it I'm like oh yeah that a lot of that stuff actually happened there. that's freaking messed up yeah um, yeah, it's but, it's uncomfortable uh, to watch as an adult, but then you get back to the like sweetness of the rest of the show, and it kind of like makes up right. for it. Yeah, I guess right. It's unfortunately pretty common with all kinds of different anime out out over there. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, especially shoujo. <laughs> Before we wrap up, just talk about the legacy of Card Captor Sakura. This is a show, you know, it's on Netflix. It's on Crunchyroll. Questionable English dub, but English dub available nonetheless. Do, do you guys think it's still a good show for kids to watch? 
Oh, hell yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Might be a bit, like, confusing for younger people, but maybe, like, around, like, middle school, it'd probably be something that's pretty interesting. Or yeah, even, think... like, late elementary, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I th- you know what? I think I think it's good. I think uh, it has a lot of good messages about about just overcoming challenges, collaboration, work working through through feelings or just working working with other people you taking consideration for uh public safety when when doing something dangerous there's a lot of that in, in <laughs> card captor soccer i think it's it, it's all good soccer is a very good character i think she's a good role model for for, for young kids in a lot of ways i think especially mm. in the original version i i think it's a really good show for kids i think even with kind of the this the, the more questionable stuff intact in in, in the uncut and dub i uh I think yeah, I think it's a little exercise parental gu- parental guidance like with your child is watching yeah. a show. Yeah, exactly. I, the manga I'm not so sure about. I think if obviously it's it's good that it's out there for clamp completionists. I don't know if it's uh if it's as good for 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 young kids to read. I know something about clamp. Do they have something against like just mother characters in their series? <laughs> Because they're like always dead, or something is wrong that happened to them, like a tragic thing. I've just realized that right now. Yeah. Anyway, that was just a thought I, I just know. had. I don't know if I have a clear answer for that, but if I mean, if I think if you watch Devil Man and then you you know go into X, any version of X. Oh yeah, Devil I think Man that's was g- a clamp series. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, they, they wrote like dojins for it. Yeah. 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 They, that's going to shed a lot of light on how they handle a lot of themes like that. Okay. Yeah, and uh. Obviously, there was, a, as we've already been talking about frequently through the show, uh, there was a, a new sequel series, Clear Card, that came out a couple of years ago. I've watched about half of it. I think it's fine. Um, there's a lot of complaints. People say that the con, like the stakes are too low because Sakura, she's obviously a much more powerful character and they try to create new challenges for her, but they are ultimately kind of negligible because she kind of like the problem pops up near the end of the episode and she resolves it quite handily. Ultimately, though, I think it's still, it's a pleasant, pleasant show to watch and, uh, captures a lot of what was great about the old, the old series. Talking about like showing the, the original to younger kids nowadays, I, I, saw on some of those like social media posts that you were looking at or that you were making uh one of the comments that struck me was um from a parent who is showing the the new dub to their six-year-old and they're quite enjoying it but when it came to when it came time to watch that first movie and the only dub of it that's available is the nirvana version that is what confused the six-year-old like why are all the names different yeah like what are what are they doing they sound different what's mommy what's going on kid there's something that kids will notice that will bother them more than you know the quality of a dub inconsistency stands out inconsistency that's what that's what bothers kids that's that's what gets kids picking things apart when they watch cartoons or shows yeah like i remember one of the things that bugged the the hell out of me the most when i was a kid was i had uh one of my most well-worn tapes was like one of the My Little Pony movies, and one of the things that bothered me the most was <laughs> that show was very cheaply produced, obviously, and there were a lot of animation errors. Specifically, there were several scenes where, like, characters who were established to be in another place appeared in, like, different shots, and that, like, I was so frustrated as a kid, like, why are these characters here? They were clearly in this other place. What's going on? Okay, any any final thoughts before we wrap up? Watch the anime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think <laughs> I think we can leave it at that. All right, guys, yeah. this was a very long episode. Thank you so much for coming on and and, and sharing your your 
thoughts and your experiences with card captors and card captor Sakura. So yeah, uh, before we go, just I would like to know if you can let people know again where folks can find you online. Sure. Yeah, you can again find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Aaron Cerise. That's E-R-Y-N-C-E-R-I-S-E. You can also find me on Twitter at that same handle, and you can follow my podcast, Super Idols RPG. Uh, you can search pretty much any podcasting platform for it, or you can, uh, you can go to our website, um, superidolsrpg.wordpress.com. You can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Rin, R-I-N, Senpai. I'm sure most people listening to this podcast should know how to spell that, and I would be playing... <laughs> Many a gacha game as well as Genshin Impact. And more recently, the new Love Live PS4 game. Oh, yeah. 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 It's very difficult. And please, please smash that subscribe button for for both of these fine folks. Thanks for tuning in to Zonen Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonencanada at gmail.com. Theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood. You can find that at ultraclystron.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. I do have a coffee account. You can find it at ko-fi.com slash zonencanada. If you like what I do, feel free to throw me a few dollars. Thanks a lot for listening. See you again. Bye. Bye.